What's up, bikers? Episode 150 of the Biker Bar podcast live stream. I think that the last time that I did the intro that I forgot my intro and I kind of realized that maybe right now I might have forgot it a little bit. That's what happens when you take too long of a break. But anyways, like I said last time, it was well needed. And uh, so here we are back back in the swing of things on a weekly episode. And this week's episode is Wheels Manufacturing. I have an old friend of mine that used to do YouTube, James, that now works for Wheels Manufacturing. And we'll get into that in a minute. But first, let's talk about the awesome sponsors of this podcast. Those of you that are listening, that are on, on Patreon, I really appreciate it. Because you guys are the ones that are seriously keeping this going. Just the other day, I had to go buy a little lav mic so I can make this project work that I'm working on. And guess what? That costs money. So um, if you guys like listening to this, do me a favor and help out. Honestly, like if you ever sit down and you're like, man, I think that Robert guy's pretty cool. I'd love to buy him a beer. You could do that monthly on Patreon. Just swing over there five bucks a month, get some stickers, get some extra content. And then this is what I'm going to do right now. Those of you guys that are watching, you'll get to see this. Those of you guys that are listening, use your imagination. But in, in my hand, I have this biker bottle opener and it is about the size of a credit card, but looks like a little flat beer can. I got a bike, biker logo on it. I think I have about 15 of these left. And if you sign up for the $5 Patreon group, right now i'll send you one of these and um i don't know what the retail value of this is because i don't sell these normally so um, let's just say it's ten dollar retail ten dollars <laughs> anyways i really appreciate everybody over there and it means a lot for anybody that that goes and swings by patreon and helps support the channel if you want to do just the bare minimum you could throw a dollar at me it probably equates to me getting like 37 cents after patreon takes their 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 fees but hey it's the thought that counts. I really appreciate everybody over there. If you want something for free, swing by my my uh, Instagram or my Facebook, or you can be at YouTube. Hit thumbs up and subscribe and do all those things. Anyways, we're going to get on with the show. We'll bring James on. How's it going, James? Hey, good. Appreciate you having wheels on. Yeah, yeah, man. Hey, anybody in the uh, in the the live stream right now? Can you guys tell me how James's audio is compared to mine? Is he like super quiet compared to me being super loud? We'll work that out right out the gate. But uh, anyways, you definitely sound low on my end. So okay. Anyway, so uh, what what uh what have you, you been up to, man? Riding bikes. Riding a lot of bikes. Uh, making a lot of bike parts at Wheels Manufacturing. Um, yeah, just. Just living life, man. How about you? Obviously, maybe you know, a lot of yes. We're episode right. one. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, if you check your settings, there's a thing in there that says like automatically adjust mic volume, and maybe if you untick that, then it'll like let the other slider work right. I'm gonna talk for a minute here though. So, anyways, I um definitely have been like getting reacclimatized to heat lately because uh, holy cow, it is um just turned from from winter to summer overnight here in northern california so it's been um definitely a hot mess for me because i we had like this like like i don't know what the opposite of indian summer is but that happened with spring where it was like got super warm all of a sudden we were like holy shit this is what 90 feels like and then the next week it was like guess what 45 and then um so here we are back to 90 again and uh people are saying the audio is good so let's let's see what maybe cool. the changes made 
yeah so let's let's try it out yeah we're kind of yeah, having think... one of the uh, the wettest uh one of the wettest maze that we've had i guess on record in like the last probably 20 years like the 10th most rainiest month in colorado oh really yep are you what part of colorado are you in so i'm just a little bit north of um of denver colorado so i'm in thornton area and the shop's actually in lewisville so just right outside of uh boulder oh right on cool yeah so those of you guys that haven't been following the biker channel since the very beginning this guy james used to do a channel called jf rides do you, anybody in the chat remember that hit hit the, the say something if you do anyways um <laughs> Back then you were doing all kinds of like, you were, you were one of the, like, I would say like one of the OG MTB creators, just because it seemed like there was a group of about 20 of us, maybe that started right, like right after like Brian BKXE, like got into it. You, yeah. What, so we were like, we're, I feel like we're like the dispensables at this point. Right. You ever seen that movie? <laughs> right. <laughs> There's definitely some something to be said that some of us have been way more successful at this YouTube thing than others. Brian yeah. now at like what is he? Probably like a half a million subscribers, and I'm like, wah wah wah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah, still it, fun. It was a good time. I mean, that's actually so. That's yeah. That's how me and you met. I think so. I think somewhere like 2017, somewhere in there. I think yeah, we, yeah, met, we met we met at Sedona Bike Fest in 2018. Yeah, I, I, I think I literally bumped into you on the trail because I went with um, some friends that we have in, in common, uh, RC and Kyle. Yeah. And me, Kyle, and our no, actually, yeah, it was me, Kyle, and RC. And I think we left the Sedona Mountain Bike Fest and we um, we went up to the Brewer Trail. It's like a mile and a half up Airport Road right outside of Sedona there. Um, and we, we were crushing down the trails as a small section. It's maybe what, like a couple miles long. And Dude, it's uh, not even, you were literally less than, less than a mile. It's like a, like three quarters of a mile. I mean, a couple miles if you're saying from the fest and back, but yeah, yeah we, we literally just like ran into each other right on the trail and was like, Hey, trail. you guys, you make YouTube yeah, videos. You familiar. <laughs> Yeah, dude. Yeah. So that that's that's cool, man. And so you is that how you eventually ended up like kind of like meeting wheels, or is that um, just un, unrelated completely? Uh, I think totally unrelated was the YouTube content that I used to make. In fact, I'm not even sure if anybody at Wheels even knew that I was making any of that content, but they do now. Uh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I um, I actually I went to work with uh, Wheels at the end of like 2019, just before um, COVID hit. So, uh -huh. uh, before then, I'd kind of been you know in, in another position. It was a it was a state job for about 13 years, and you know I was really passionate about cycling. You know, it's always been kind of a staple in my life, and uh, uh -huh. I did marketing for for my state job, and uh, just the two uh, just happened to pop up at the same time where you know interest met opportunity and. Uh, I went to work for um, went to work for Wheels doing their marketing, um, which was a little bit interesting, right? Because kind of right as COVID hit, you know, it was kind of, that was a, a, a strange thing for all of us. But it was even more strange to be starting a new job and then to have to deal with all of that chaos that kind of happened with uh, with COVID. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you had just done some like videos on Wheels parts then before. Because I feel like it was like, I, I feel like I remember seeing some content on the channel before you, before maybe uh, it was just a coincidence or something. But I mean, I think, I think I'd always done, you know, some of the 
silly like how to type install videos or something. Yeah, yeah. ESI grips or something that I had done at some point. But yeah, nothing nothing for wheels until I um, started working for them. Kind of like that's crazy. Of- like in my mind, it totally like went a completely different way. I have a, I have a different narrative for your life. so so anyway so you've been over there since covid and um how how are things over there good i I think um you know i mean during covid you know everybody kind of had to i think during during times of of you know downturns in in the economy the bike industry actually does pretty good and that's because you know people have to look for cheaper means to get around or you know find cheaper ways to work out or recreate and so during COVID, that was probably some of our busiest years, I think was, you know, in between, you know, 20, you know, 2020 to 2022 was, you know, it was just grind all the time to pump out, you know, new products and new product descriptions and social postings and all that stuff around wheels products. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was busy. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny because the bicycle industry, like when it first happened, like, everybody was freaking out because they were like, we're all going to die. Nobody's going to buy anything. <laughs> you know, it was like, I, I don't know, like you remember, I, I'm sure you do, but it was like all the bike shops were like, everybody's going to go out of business. And then like a month later, they're like, oh my God, we have nothing left. And we need yeah. this out. We need everything. <laughs> we need it all. So. Yeah, we did. Yeah. I mean, we, that was actually, that was one of our saving graces, honestly, is if you remember kind of like as COVID started, right? You know, we, we couldn't get parts anymore because, um, you know, transportation, sh- you know, shipping containers and things like that kind of all shut down. You know, companies that were manufacturing a lot of products were overseas and, and they couldn't produce anymore because their warehouses and their manufacturing facilities shut down. And uh, because, I mean, we're based right here in the U.S. and we make, um, I, I guess we could probably talk about, you know, what all does wheels actually make. But um, we make it all here in Louisville, Colorado. So we were able to bypass all the needs to, you know, bring stuff in from overseas. We made it right here. And, you know, we were supplying parts to all the major OE bike brands and bike shops and distributors and mm-hmm. yeah, kept parts flowing. So um, just generally speaking, how would you explain wheels manufacturing? If like you met one, like somebody at a bar and they're like, where do you work? <laughs> yeah. So the, 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 I'll give you the short version. If you want the long one, we can do that. But the short version yeah, is, is wheels manufacturing has been around for 35 years. Um, we've always been based, I think, in some capacity out of Boulder, Colorado. So we started off as wheels of Boulder. We were an independent bike shop with a small machine shop in the back. And, you know, outside of selling bike parts and fixing bikes, um, the guy who owned it at the time was also a machinist. Uh, and he, you know, figured out, Hey, I can make some of these bike parts that, you know, people are having a hard time getting, or he's having a hard time sourcing. And, um, I think, you know, obviously 35 years later, the biggest part of the business now is no longer a bike shop. It's, it's, you know, it's a full on manufacturing facility. The irony, the irony in all this is called wheels manufacturing, but we do not make wheels, Robert. You guys are gonna have to work on that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe try to, um, I'm still listening to the audio and, and I'm being super crucial over here. If you try to tick that uh, box again, that, that auto adjusted, I think it's okay at this point. So, and that other one I think is, was making it spike a little bit more. Okay. Anyways, those of you that are listening on the podcast, you can like bang on your, your stereo or whatever it is that you're listening on your, your AirPods. Don't hit your AirPods too hard. You might knock yourself out, but uh, I think, I think we got it straight now. So anyways, um, so 
originally it was a bike shop and he starts making different parts. I mean, 35 years ago, I can see that as like a, a pretty viable business because um, we didn't have the access to, to things as much as we do now. And, uh, but you guys have obviously, since you were like in early, you were able to really kind of like lock your place in, in the mix there. So you guys make tools that that's like, I would say one of the first things that I think of whenever somebody says wheels. So was that just that, that process just kind of happened naturally or. So the, yeah, the tool piece, I think kind of probably came later or more of as a necessity. So, I mean, honestly, we, we produce a lot of things in house. Um, so anything from cable ferrules, uh, cable crimps, uh, ball retainers, you know, cups, cones, axles. Um, we, we make a lot of small parts that people would probably never, you know, realize that wheels manufacturing is making them, but they're on your bike. And so you have, you may ha even have wheels parts on your bike that you didn't know you had. Um, obviously we don't, you know, brand those tiny little pieces, but we make a huge supply. We're, we're probably one of the largest producers of small bar bike parts in general. Um, but oh, wow. kind of like, yeah, some of the buckets that we make, you know, we're known for um, high quality bottom brackets. Um, we're known for derailleur hangers is, a, is another huge one. So if, if you're familiar with derailleur hangers, you know that those things are horrible and that they're they're designed to break and, and they save your expensive, you know, derailleur, but you have to always have a backup one if you're out on a ride. So there's about 2000 variations that we kind of know of, of, of those different hangers out there. We make about 600 different types of hangers. Wow, that's crazy. So yeah. um, are you guys like OEM for a lot of other companies is what you're saying then? Uh, yeah. Not, so we we um, do full spectrum. So, I mean, yes, our, our bike parts are on anything probably from Trek to, you know, you know, big box store brand stuff, I'm sure. Oh, um, I see. We also sell to distributors, bike shops. Um, and then just uh -huh. recently, you know, we started selling direct to consumer um straight to the website as well all right on yeah so what's the difference then like like why would i want to buy a wheels bottom or a, i'm not a bottom bracket but like a wheels derailleur hanger instead of getting one from like santa cruz is it cheaper or like better material or yeah so a machine part um there's a little bit of difference in the manufacturing process is really all it is but basically you know molded part is is stamped or pressed out um, it's not always necessarily as accurate or the tolerances aren't quite as good as they could be for fitment on mm -hmm. your bike. Um, so, you know, by machining them, we can hit really tight tolerances, make them super accurate, make them fit on really well. And then they're also not going to, you know, just completely, you know, if you accidentally bump it, it's not going to just totally end up into your cassette like a lot of the cheaper, you know, kind of OE-ish style hangers do. Ours last a little longer. They're designed to have a little more abuse to them before they totally snap or before they totally bend in. So let's say yeah, yeah. your bike falls over, your your rear derailleur hanger kind of gets bent just a little bit. You know, you're able to use a tool to kind of bend that back and do it a couple of times before you totally have to get a new hanger. Whereas like the cheaper ones, you know, yeah. they don't necessarily bend back as well. You end up with that, you know, do you, rear derailleur, you can never get into a gear kind of cranking around back then. You're like, why is this happening? <laughs> Dude, I I bought one of those like park tool derailleur hanger benders. And so far the derailleur hanger bender is 
like four or five points in and I'm at zero at adjusting it correctly because that thing is just snapped. Every <laughs> Apparently, I'm too much of a gorilla to use that thing because um, basically what I do now is I go buy another derailleur hanger and then I try to bend the one that I have on my bike. Then I snap it and then I have to replace it with the one that I bought. I mean, that's good for business for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep keep breaking them, Robert. Right, right. <laughs> so, do you guys, um, I you guys have a lot of anodized colors on your website for all the parts. Do so. Do you like have different colors and everything in the site, or is it just like particulars? Yeah, so I think that that basically, you know, a lot of our products we started um, kind of putting out with you know different colors and stuff, and I think that kind of followed you know, COVID where, you know, a lot more people were into cycling, had bikes and, you know, we're really just kind of looking for ways to make them unique. Right. You, you go to the store, you get a bike and it, it looks like, you know, the, the 12 sitting next to it. And so, you know, I think people are kind of at that point where, you know, I've got, I've got a brand new, you know, Santa Cruz or whatever it is, but it looks exactly like your buddy. So how do you make it a little bit different? How do you make it more unique? And so we kind of brought in like that color line of, of most of our products. So about seven different anodized colors, um, on, mm -hmm most products um yeah it added a whole lot of skews to keep track of that's, yeah, that's the reality on our side but um i think it makes it fun for people so you guys still do all your own manufacturing then as well or yeah and oh, yeah. where's the main the main machine shop that's there in, in in colorado as well oh totally yeah so everything uh pretty much machined is is machined in the house uh, right there in Louisville, Colorado. You know, occasionally we'll have somebody help us out with a little something, but for the yeah. most part, yeah, I mean, you know, raw aluminum comes in the back of the warehouse and it pops out the end um off the off yeah. the lathes or the mills as as a completed product right there in Louisville. That, that's pretty cool, man. We have a big machine shop for the company that I work for as well, so it's neat to see like a big brick of metal turn into like a thing. You know, totally. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no shape to this big block of metal. It just some engineer who thought it up and could put it into a CAD design and throw it on a machine. It pops out like it's just a totally complete process. You know, and yeah. that whole process is amazing to see. When you see it in person, it's really, um, it's just like, oh, I didn't think about that. Like a hub, for example, or like even like your bottom, bottom bracket, I guess that would be a really good example. It's like, that's a cylinder, cylindrical, like piece of aluminum. Yeah. And, you know, it comes in a freaking piece that's like 20 feet long and then you like cut it down to size and then that turns into a bottom bracket. You know, it's like, it's just crazy, you know, seeing the raw kind of like go through that process. So it's really neat. Yeah. I mean, I think the benefits to, you know, kind of having it done local and not having it maybe done overseas where we can't necessarily always QC or something is, you know, when, when a part goes in, we, we see it from beginning to end. And so mm -hmm. that, that block or that tube of aluminum, you know, gets programmed by one of the people in the shop. They watch it the whole way through, you know, they're checking it the entire way to make sure it's meeting all like those, you know, tolerances that, that those parts have to have. And by the time it, it pops out, I mean, we know we have like that quality part and it's been QC'd and checked and um, yeah. Yeah, so that's a cool part of, you know, I think having like in-house machining is being able to kind of control all that and knowing that you have a great part. Yeah, yeah, totally. Do you guys do your own anno as well? Anodizing? No. Um, nope. That's, uh, we outsource that through a couple different vendors. Um, yeah. yeah that's, that's, normally... that's, a whole, 
that's a whole nother beast, I think. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely talked to a few different other companies that have that are building their own stuff and then they still like, it seems like that's like a, like a specialty thing where it's like maybe more effort than it's worth to like try to do on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Even with the stuff that we do at my, at the company I work for, we, we don't do our own anno either. And I'm sure we have guys that are plenty smart enough to do it, but yeah, uh, is what it is. Do you yeah. guys, um, I, I saw you guys had some like, crazy like anno thing on there the other day it kind of looked like a galaxy <laughs> yeah uh so that was our uh, headset press uh-huh so are you doing yeah. the, any other parts in that color as well or it kind of looks like we, oil slick almost we we kind of have i mean we do like occasionally some small batch releases of you know parts uh or tools or something um you know, a couple times per year and we so that what we just released was uh it's called mystic is what we're calling it um, kind of looks like that galaxy, you know, cloud, something like that. Um, mm -hmm. Kind of a finish on these uh, headset presses. Um, and so, a local girl who she's she's actually in Broomfield, just just not too far from the shop. She um, she basically does all this stuff on her own. She's like an artist, and yeah, she makes some really cool. Uh, all right, parts. On. yeah. So um, I noticed on the like the main home page of the website there's like some different tools and things like that that are there and you can see like a linkage for for somebody's frame do you guys do that or is that just like kind of part of the the picture there like if you somehow screwed up the link on your your frame could you yeah. get a new one from wheels or so that's one thing we don't make but we probably could make um yeah, I mean, I think I think what you're looking at is probably on that on our homepage is that slider banner that has the uh, the shot yeah yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, sitting on there we don't necessarily do the linkages but you know we sell the bearings we sell a lot of the um suspension uh tools to pull those bearings out of that um so uh -huh. like if you're ever gonna you know go and take all the bearings out of your suspension on your bike we probably got like the the different drifts and extractors and presses to put those things back in um that you need um uh, but the linkages yeah. themselves you know, we, we probably could i mean maybe that's maybe that's something we should look into uh since yeah, yeah. i don't know that you guys could be the next cascade, right? Yep. <laughs> so, um, so with, with the like presses and the, and the pools and whatnot, um, maybe you can explain that process to somebody on how that works. Cause I think that's one of those things where, um, a lot of people are like, man, that's just, that's too much for me. I'm going to take this thing into a shop and let them deal with it. But I feel like it's probably not too difficult to like, use the tools that you guys have to do it. Well, I mean, I, I, I think, I think you're right, Robert. I think, you know, I mean, you, you can always go to a shop and I mean, I think, you know, for most people, if you're not totally familiar with, with what you're doing on your bike, you know, you should definitely have like a, a professional mechanic, you know, put their hands on it and make sure everything's um, right. But I mean, with, with, you know, things the way they are, you know, you can go on YouTube and um, find out how to do just about anything. Um, so yeah, you could essentially like, let's say, you know, you got, creaky bearings in one of your suspension pivots and you want to pull it out and put a new one in um you could totally come to our website you know look at the bearing numbers on your you know on your bike and figure out which bearing you need and and buy the bearing and then also buy the extractor based off of that number and then buy the press and the drift to put it put the new one back in 
you know, I wouldn't mm-hmm. say it's necessarily a hard thing. You know, I think it's one of those things where like, if you're going to try it on your own, it's probably good to have somebody who's done it before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of knows what they're doing, walk you through it. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, maintenance your bike is something you should do. I, I think it's something that probably a lot of people probably don't do. Yeah. I think most people just ignore it until it's yeah. like not working at all. I mean, I, yeah. at least that's what I do. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, just recently I was, I was trying to track down some Creek that I was having on my bike. And so of course I'm like taking everything apart and I got to some of the bearings that were in the the linkage. And I was like, dude, this thing is barely moving. Like (laughs) this is horrible. No wonder everything doesn't feel good. So, um, I think there's some brands that will replace the bearings for you for for free, like Santa Cruz, but like that doesn't cover the. That's just the bearings, though. They won't actually yeah. like do the labor. You know what I mean? So, um, when you said you guys sell bearings, are you like reselling somebody else's, or are you guys making the bearings? So, um, yeah, it depends on what bearings. Uh, I think most of our bearings are enduro style bearings. Um, so mm-hmm. they don't necessarily make them; they're just good quality bearings. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you guys just basically have the good stock of it all. Yep. Yep. We, uh, it's kind of a sell through item for us. I mean, obviously, you know, we, we make most of the products that'll fit, you know, bearings by themselves are pretty standardized as far as like yeah. what sizes they are and, and what ratings they are is, you know, like ceramic and then they have different levels of bearings. Um, I, I won't get too deep into the bearing thing. Um, cause that's a whole nother rabbit hole that we go down, but yeah, I mean, we, we definitely have them. If somebody wanted to, to do it, you know, and they felt comfortable for it, I mean, they can easily just, you know, either go to the website, wheelsmfg.com um, and find what they need, including the tools. Um, they could also order them. You know, we have customer service. So if you kind of, you know, run into a bind where you're trying to do it and you have a question, um, you can usually, you know, get a hold of us. You know, at least if nothing else, you can send us an email. We can kind of get back to you and say, well, you know, try this or point you back to your uh, to your local bike shop. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. yeah totally. so. With your um your bottom brackets that you have, they're all all kinds of different different uh, colors and stuff like that. And you have a bottom bracket finder on your website as well that just helps people to to be able to like figure out which one they actually have. Um, yep. What was I gonna say? Shoot! Oh, so like when something new comes out, how long does it take you guys to to like replicate that, or do you maybe not make everything like 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 when SRAM came out with dub, is that something that you sell as well or? Yeah. So you, you, you brought up, you brought up a really good point, Robert. Um, so yeah, with, with the bottom brackets we do, we, we carry a ton of them. There are a bunch of bottom bracket standards, probably like, I don't know, th- at least 13 or so different bottom brackets standards. They call mm-hmm. them standards, but if the joke, the running joke in the industry is everybody says they had a, have a, a you know, a standard, but nobody has, like one standard, everybody has like 20 different standards. So nothing. Yeah. The standard is make your own. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah. When somebody comes out with a new standard, whether it's, you know, dub or, you know, 30 millimeter or whatever, you know, eventually, you know, people are going to need bottom brackets to, you know, for that spindle size. So Mm -hmm. we'll go in and, you know, obviously update our product line by, you know, putting out a, a bottom bracket that can accommodate, you know, whatever it is, maybe the next one's a, you know, a 35 millimeter spindle, who knows what's next, but um, yeah, right. yeah, totally. Got it. So like on some of these ones where it's like cups and I, I haven't had one of your bottom brackets before. So like with SRAM ones, 
in between the two cups is usually like a plastic piece. Is that still plastic with yours or is it machined as well? Yeah. So bottom brackets, um, you know, especially like that come OEM on your bike. So it could be like a SRAM, it could be a Shimano, it could be something else, you know, it's an OEM style. And, and typically they're, they're pretty good. The bearings in there are, are decent and they'll get you going and, and you'll use them and you'll be just fine. The problem with a lot of those is that those bottom brackets aren't serviceable. So mm -hmm. the bearings inside those bottom brackets are, are a wear and tear part. And so mm -hmm. over time they're designed to break down. They, they don't last forever. So that's a part that you will replace on your bike. Um, I think where wheels kind of comes in is that, you know, we, our, our parts are machined out of aluminum, right? So um, that's, that's a positive. You're not, you know, necessarily popping out one of your bottom brackets when it goes bad and throwing it away and creating more waste. You're yeah. putting in one of our bottom brackets and it's, it's aluminum cups. So those will get pressed in and they, they'll, you know, stay there. The other benefit is that where like those OEM styles, you, they're designed so you can't get in to service the bearings. Mm -hmm. So once they break down, you, you're just, you got a bum bottom right. You got to throw it out and, and you know, either put another OEM plastic style back in there or, mm -hmm. you know, pay a little bit extra and get one that's going to be in there for, for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. It's a little so bit of a yeah. Yeah. So like basically the difference would be like the, the SRAM one that I use you're not going to take the, the the bearings out of them. Whereas if you were to buy one of the wheels one, then you would just press in a new bearing when that thing starts to get, get old. Yeah. yeah. So really, so bottom brackets in general, like you should service them and you should probably, you know, that or, or you're going to be replacing your bottom brackets more often. So if you get a bottom bracket that you can service, you should probably do that a couple times per year, probably, you know, maybe, you know, mid season, you know, end of season type of servicing. You don't even have to pull the bearings out. You could literally, in most cases, especially in ours, just pull the seal, clean the bearings out, make sure all the, you know, the gunk and the mud and sand or where, you know, whatever conditions you're riding that kind of finds its way in there. And then you mm -hmm. just re-grease it, pop the seal back on and you're, and you're good to go. So that's, that's one way to keep it going. The other mm -hmm. thing is, like you mentioned, you could probably pop those bearings out, either A, put in new bearings, or let's say, you had a standard steel bearing in there. You wrote it, you know, maybe that's what you use during the winter. And in the summer, you race your bike. So you want like a faster rolling bearing. So like a ceramic bearing with, mm -hmm. a, with a, a bottom bracket like ours, uh, aluminum cup. So you can literally just pop out the old uh, steel bearings and then press in, you know, your ceramic faster, smoother rolling bearings for, for the race season. So that, that's kind yeah. of another added benefit. Is there some kind of secret to popping that seal off? I got like a little pick set. I think I'm pretty much the last time I tried popping the seals off, I was like, I feel like this is not going to be as good as it was before. <laughs> I mean, it's not really a secret. I mean, it's, it is, you know, it's a, it's a, it is a seal. And sometimes um, what ends up happening is like the seal and the bearing itself um, is kind of worn out. And so if that happens, I don't necessarily know if you can buy a new seal for those. So at that point, mm -hmm. you probably just pop in a new bearing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, basically, it um, you pop those off with a small pick. Um, and yeah. generally, you can pretty much just, you know, once you clean them out and re-grease, you can just pop them back on and, and they're just fine. That's just good enough, man. What do, you, what, what do you clean, like, the inside of it out with? Just, like, squirt some so, WD-40 in there or... 
(laughs) 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 Only the bike style. No. Um, I mean, I would say, you know, cleaning out bearings, you probably want to use something like, you know, rubbing alcohol or, you know, you you can use some, some light duty, like, uh, maybe like, uh, uh, simple green to kind of get in there. If you use like a biodegradable cleaner like that, I think the trick to it is, is whatever you use to clean off those ball bearings, you make sure that you thoroughly clean that out of them. So whatever that product was, you wash it out with water and then you either a blow it out and make sure it's completely dry before you grease or you kind of let it dry. You just don't want to leave water in there. So when you pop that seal off, the expectation would be is you'd use your pick to pull all the little ball bearings out as well. And then kind of like, Clean nope. them or leave them in there. Yeah. So once you pop off that seal, those ball bearings are going to stand between the races. You, you don't you, you don't want to pull them out. <laughs> don't do okay. that. They're all over the place. You lose them. Um, you can pretty much leave them in there. Assuming like the, the inner race is moving smooth. You don't hear any friction or noise. Mm-hmm. You know, so the ball bearings are good. You just leave them in there. Um, you don't, you don't necessarily need to need to pull them out. And I'm, I'm not an expert everyday bike mechanic. So there could be somebody on this podcast and say, this guy has no clue what he's talking about. Um, yeah, but I would say is, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to be messing with your bearings and you don't feel comfortable with it, always start with your bike shop, go to that pro yeah, have them double check, you know, a, either what you've messed up or, or, you know, have them check before you do anything. Just ask those questions there. Those, those guys see it day in and day out. Um, and they know what's going on. Yeah, I um I I'm just going off of like I would have never popped that seal off and um recently like a friend of mine had some kind of issue. He went to the shop, the shop guy did exactly that, right? He popped the seal off, fixed whatever his problem was. And yeah. I I was trying to like chase down that creek on my bike and you know the best time to do that is like an hour before you're supposed to leave for some ride that you're meeting a bunch of people on. And that's when I decided to do it. So, so at this point I had my bike all apart and I'm like, Oh my God, this bearing's like fucking toast. So, um, I popped the seal off. And then at that point it's like the grease that was in there was like all like super gunked up and nasty. Like, like it, it, it probably like was stopped being greased like a year ago. <laughs> and just turned into like muck. So at that point, I was like, man, I'm in over my head at this point. I don't know what to do. I just shot some more grease in there, pop cap back on and split. Um, but so I feel like the knowledge that you're giving is better than the knowledge that I had. <laughs> if, if nothing else, don't use this as a tutorial to do your bearings. But take this <laughs> as like, hey, this is an opportunity that, yes, you should be having your, your bearings and your bottom bracket maintenance. Um, and like I said, right. I, I, I typically take my bike to my, to my local guy. And he's, he's a local uh, bike shop right here in Boulder. And I just let, let them do it. He knows my routine. You know, we normally will set up at the bike shop. It's like, I'm going to come in at the beginning of the season. I'm going to come in at the end of the season. And he just, you know, he gets in there, cleans out the bottom bracket, does that normal thing. Um, and gets you going and out the door and you don't have to worry about it unless you really enjoy that. I mean, I would just say, whatever you do, make sure you get your bottom bracket serviced a couple of times per year. And you know, it depends on conditions too. Like if you're riding in a super, you know, wet, muddy environment, that's humid, you're, you're probably gonna have a lot more mud and gunk and, and water that's going to make itself in there. And so you, you might be having to service your bearings, like, you know, a couple extra, maybe it's once per quarter or how, or, could even depend on how much you ride. You know, if you're a 
a pro athlete, you're, you're going to certainly put a lot more tear on those bearings than somebody who just, you know, occasionally weekend warriors is like, so yeah, yeah I, mean, I typically, typically go with the, uh, ride it until it's so freaking bad that you have to replace it. <laughs> <laughs> just ignore everything. Oh, I can't. No, don't do it. Don't do it, Robert. I'm sending you a board back to this. When, when, when I'm like, I, I feel bad for my friends, man, because like we'll go on a ride and it'll be like, man, that squeak is really annoying. I'm going to fix that tomorrow or I'm going to fix that when I get home. And then I usually do that for about, oh, at least six or seven rides until <laughs> I'm actually so annoyed with it that I actually do try to fix it. And then who knows how long the fixing it process takes. But yeah. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I'm that guy in the group. Yeah, I was gonna say you don't you don't want to be that guy that a has to listen to the creak and squeak all day long by yourself riding your bike. But don't be that guy when you go on a group ride that makes yeah. everybody else listen to your creak and squeak for two hours. Yeah, believe me. So what I do when I'm by myself is I just turn my music up and then it's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> just ignore it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's pretty much pretty much how I do it. The worst is whenever you ignore something for so long and you're just at the point where you're like, okay, I'm either going to choke somebody and I guess it's going to have to be me because I'm the one that's ignoring it or I'm going to fix it. And then you go to fix it and it's like literally like the easiest thing ever. Like, like here's a good example, man, my shifting is really horrible. Oh my God. I can't get it to work. Oh, well, whatever. Three rides later, you're finally like, all right. I'm going to check this out. And you realize that your back tire is just loose and you've been running. <laughs> and all you need to do is tighten it up with the quick release thingy. It's fine. That's typically like the story of my life. <laughs> Literally this morning. I, so for like the last three weeks, probably I'm going to say three weeks. Let's hope that it's not actually that long. But one day I walked out and I noticed like my, my landscaping in the backyard, the drip system is just like in one section shooting like four feet up in the air. And I'm like, fuck, this pipe is like, like not the pipe, but the little hose thingy is like, must've got chewed on by some animal or something like that. It's all screwed up. I'm going to have to run the new thing. I don't want to deal with this. So like in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, it's only running three times a week. So if I ignore it for three times, like it's not too bad. But then I'm like, oh man, the plants are going to start dying. I need to get to this. So finally today I go out and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go take a, take a look and figure out what's going on here. Really all that happened was the little thing that like controls the flow, a little like flow doohickey just popped out. And I, it took me three seconds to push it back into the tube and it was fine. So if this, this goes in all aspects of my <laughs> life, <laughs> hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this podcast. Cause she's going to be yeah, like, right. my lemon tree died because you're freaking lazy. <laughs> so Robert, do you, I mean, do you work on your, on your own bikes or do you use a shop? What's, what's kind of your, I like 80, five to 90% of the time work on my own bike. There's some certain things where I'm just like, a, I'm too cheap to buy the part. So yep. one of them would be the presses that you were talking about Yeah, because like to get a whole set of presses, what is it like 300 bucks? 
Uh, I mean, it depends. So we, we make we make a pro line of our tools and we make an essential line. So the essential line, you know, I think most guys or people who, who want to work in their you know garage on their bike and, you know, get a good tool that's, you know, going to last them a lifetime and be legacy. I hand it down to, you know, your family members. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's not it's not too bad. It gets you just what you need and not, you know, the whole professional kit. And then, you know, obviously professional kit. Yeah, those could be up to 300 bucks. Um, but so what's that, but, what's that like essential line cost? Um, you know, it depends. I mean, those things can vary anywhere from like a hundred, a hundred bucks to 150 bucks. Um, it really depends that's on not like too bad, what, man. No, what press kit we're talking about. You know, that's, that's an investment, you know? So if you're somebody yeah. that's, you know, take up, you know, working on your bike, I mean, you might save some money in the end, you know, paying somebody else to do it. So uh-huh. get a good tool to start with, you know, it's going to last. I mean, I, I know you've got one of our press. I've seen it in one of your social posts. Yeah, I do. It's like hanging right up there. That was, I bought that for a headset. It's a headset press. And okay. to be honest, like your prices for your, your press were like way cheaper than some of the other stuff that's out there. We don't throw any names out, but, <laughs> um, so to me, it was like, all right, well, this seems like a good idea. And then the next bike that I brought or I bought didn't need the headset press anymore. So I don't think, I don't even know if I've ever actually, I, I might've used it once, but I got it for life. that's true you can start renting it out yeah i should but i wonder if they have like a like a a a tool share platform you know (laughs) that's that's your million that's your million dollar idea right there robert i know right yep i feel like i would knowing me i would spend more money on developing it than it's ever going to make so (laughs) (laughs) but the the, uh the bearing so i mean do see i only buy like santa cruz bikes and so i don't have a clue how the rest of the world actually does things so santa cruz changed their their frame so that you just drop the, the bearings in like you don't have to have like a, a i don't know what that is even called what is that like a, not a press fit it's just like a like you just drop the bearing in the frame and then it has like a little cap and you're like whoop, that's it you're done hmm. so it doesn't need to be pressed in or anything no no so so most bikes don't do that huh no i think i mean i think most bearings you know are pretty tight tolerances and that's what holds them in there is generally the being pressed in and held yeah um and some of those i could i could see that some of those could just be drop in yeah yeah it's really interesting so anyways i think i think this might be the year that i start riding some other bikes so Everybody that watches my regular channel, keep your eyes, keep your eyes open because shit's about to change. <laughs> so then I'm going to need some presses, man. I'm going to start using my headset press again. Everything's going to be good in the world. Are you, are you doing like a frame up build or are you buying a, buying a complete bike? So this is the deal for me. I, I have been riding long enough that I don't feel like I can buy a bike from a traditional company and like, it'd be worth it anymore because I have so many opinions on what parts that I like that it's like, I'm going to use Santa Cruz as an example, but I mean, I think all your big box, like bigger companies like pivot Santa Cruz, Trek giant, whatever they have their builds. Right. And like, to me, when I look at those builds, all I'm looking at is like all the parts that I'm going to switch no matter what. Like, let's just say I wanted GX access and the GX access build comes with 
a Fox dropper. I'm like, instantly, I'm like, well, first of all, that's going to be like a 170, which I don't want. So I'm going to go buy a 210 one up, you know, and the handlebars are going to be whatever. I'm like, nope, I like these one up handlebars. And then obviously like all those things, they just start to like add up where you're, you know, instantly you're like, well, why did I buy this whole bike? If like, it's, it's just a bunch of parts that I don't, that I don't want, you know, like, oh, that, that build also comes with aluminum wheels. There's no way I'm, I'm riding aluminum wheels. And so I'm going to get carbon wheels. Right. And then it's like, well, their carbon wheel upgrade is going to give me hubs that I don't want. So it's like, like, it's just pathetic. So I think that, um, for me, it's like from here on out, it's pretty much like get a frame or go to a company that has more of an a la carte build where like, like, and you're starting to see a lot of that with these direct, you know, direct consumer kind of brands like Fazario build whatever you want. Common Saul will build whatever you want. Um, I'm sure there's a bunch of other people out there that are doing the same well, thing. I, where I it's like uh, the, the Trek one or something like that, their customized line, like you can go through and pick out, you know, like the colors, the, you can actually, I think you can actually pick, you know, to have a wheels bottom bracket put, put in there. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, customization is huge. I didn't know that Trek did that. That's that's really interesting. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think it, I think it's like Trek One. I want to say, not totally familiar, but yeah. Huh. Right on. Guess I'm gonna have to be go talk to Joey Trek and see what I can do over there. <laughs> have you ever ridden a Trek? Uh, I've had a couple of tracks. Yeah, over the years. Yeah? I think like um, I had a Trek Amanda road bike uh, for a while. Um, I think I had a Trek Slash for a little bit. Yeah, pretty good stuff. I think I've ridden one like once. I don't even remember. It would have been like, did they, didn't they have like a fuel or something like that? I feel like I might've ridden one. Of yeah. Those. Yep. The fuels back in the day. Yeah. I don't really like, I don't really know much about them to tell you the truth. So this year I really, really want to spend more time like trying different stuff and um, we'll see what happens. Cause um, I don't know, man. I feel like there's so many other, so many good brands out there and, also like to be honest like review videos do well so i think that i'm gonna try to to see how that goes this year and i don't know i tend to be like super brand loyal though so it's like i feel like whatever brand i pick that's pretty much all the bikes i'm gonna have so i'm I'm looking for brands that make all the bikes that i want so i need a (laughs) short travel a long travel a hardtail and a gravel bike that's all I'm asking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you write you write a lot of gravel, don't you? Um, you know, I've been doing a lot more of it lately. I mean, it's definitely yeah. the trendy thing, you know, that's happening. I think, you know, a lot of people are taking that you know, basically that 90s style mountain bike geometry and putting, you know, a little bit skinnier tires on it with drop bars is what that really all is. Um Yeah. People will probably hate me for that, but I ain't it, you know, essentially it's it's kind of what it was, you know, back no, back percent nineties that that geometry was kind of there and you'd ride your bike, you know, on dirt roads and, you know, adventure. Um, but now they've got drop bars and, um, it's, it's a new way to ride, I guess. I have a gravel bike and I've put probably a couple thousand miles on this thing. I like never get in the drops. Do you get in the drops? I mean, like I'd have to be crushing, you know, trying to, like 
put down some watts or something, but nah, I mean, I think, you know, I go for more like the, um, uh, red shift bars, you know, I, I like different hand placement and, you know, places to put your hands so that they don't go numb on like mm -hmm. longer rides, but you know, but the drop bars that I have are pretty shallow and wide. So they come uh -huh. out a little bit further. They're not, they're not so much like what you'd think about, um, you know, with like road bikes where it's like deep drops and you're, you're really yeah. over and down in them. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if it was just me or like freaking I'm fat and my belly's in the way or something like that. But I'm like, I just really don't like very seldomly, unless it's like, like, you know, like a stupid headwind or like you said, I'm just trying to like hammer some segment or something like that. Every once in a while I might like drop into those. But so do you, I, I guess the reason I asked this, so you think the reason that the gravel thing is with drop bars is really just about hand placement for doing big miles. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess, you know, just, I think it was a way to get people, you know, honestly, I think a lot of people just took the road bikes and just, you know, try to get a little bit wider tires on them. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it just, it just kind of took off where everybody, you know, wanted off the roads um, and started, you know, going on dirt roads and on trails. Um, yeah. 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 I hear you there. I'm just speculating. I, I, I don't know. Cause like, to me, it's like, what's the purpose? Like, why not just use a flat bar and like, like use that geometry with the skinny tires, but use like, we're, Hey, we're used to like mountain bike, like handlebars. Right. Yeah. But I, I think the only thing that like comes to my mind is like when you're on a road or a dirt road or a gravel road, I would say that you're like your hand placement and like, with the drop bars, like, like not in the drops, but like up in the hoods, you know, like, or on the, the handlebars itself, it's definitely like way more comfortable than like riding like a flat bar, like a mountain bike bar. Yeah. I mean, I, to be totally honest, like I ride my mountain bikes a lot more than I do my gravel bike and I'm a poor yeah. gravel cyclist anyway. Like my, I, I have a Fazari Schaefer uh, gravel bike and it might as well be, you know, a mountain bike. Cause I've got, you know, the, the 50 millimeter wide tires on there. I've got, you know, I've got a fork on the front, you know, it's suspension, it's a suspension fork. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm, I'm the right guy to ask about the gravel scene, but yeah. Um, yeah. You know. I'm, I'm like my gravel bike sees more road miles than anything. So maybe that's like between the two of us, we have both ends of the, like the, the outside, like, sections of the gravel group covered we just don't actually have anybody at its core so right. anybody that's a gravel cyclist listening to this is probably like banging their head against their steering wheel right now. yeah exactly like... <laughs> <laughs> anyways I so mean, I, um, for me it was the plus right they were like hey there's there's a new gravel bike and i was like oh new bike i gotta buy it yeah. so i just went out and bought a gravel bike right for me, it was really just, I didn't want to be a road biker by any means. So I was like, my lady really like started getting into road. And for a long time, I was just using this single speed. And apparently that's really like all fine and dandy until you have to climb some big hills. Then it's not fun. <laughs> so uh, I was like, man, I need some gears. But if I buy a road bike, I feel like my life is over. So I, I felt like a gravel bike. I'm like, okay. And honestly, I really like, like, because I'm not a dedicated road cyclist, I like that ability to, like, 
hey, there's a dirt road right there. I'm going to freaking go down that for a while. And oh, there's a little flowy single track that I not, know isn't like super technical. Like, I'm going to hit that. Like, screw it. That's fun to me. Whereas if I had a road bike, then I'd be like just really screwing it up probably. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, honestly, I, I don't discriminate. I mean, like, I just love bikes. So anything that's got two wheels, you know, and I can ride, I, I pretty much, you know, I'm open to it. You know, BMX, you know, anything from BMX to dirt jumping, you know, I've done just about a little bit of everything. So, I mean, I yeah. think the gravel bike is just, you know, another way to get out and experience and enjoy cycling, you know, whether yeah. it's got drop bars on it or, or, you know, whatever. It's like, you know, yeah. just get out and adventure, ride your bike. I tried, I tried, I tried to, to do the uh, the dirt jumper thing, that was an epic fail on my part. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll go to like the dirt jumps with my mountain bike, right? And I'm like, man, this is fun. I should do this yeah. more. And like once I like ran my my Garmin just to see, and I was like, man, I rode like nine miles, and like I don't even remember how much elevation. It was all like ten feet at a time, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I was kind of blown away. I was like, holy crap, man, that's like a really good exercise, or like really good exercise, and it was fun, and blah, 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 right? So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to buy a dirt jumper. So I bought a dirt jumper, and then I was like, oh, I need to do a video on this. So I feel like right there is where I made the, the bar of entry too high. Because every time I was like going to take it to the dirt jumps, I thought, oh, well, I have to film this. I don't yeah. feel like spending the time doing that right now. I'm just going to go ride mountain bikes instead. And then I did that for a year and I never rode the dirt jumper. Oh, Brand new dirt jumper just hanging on my wall. And at that point, I finally realized I obviously am just not a dirt jumper. <laughs> so before it loses any more value, I'm going to sell it as brand new, never been ridden, and uh, just cut my losses. <laughs> did you uh, did you customize it at all, or did you just kind of just use no. it? Fortunately, I bought it. Like it, it was a YT YT uh, Dirt Love. It was a really cool bike. It looked rad hanging on my wall, dude. I really <laughs> wanted to ride it. But, piece but of nice. Really, yeah, yeah. So it was like a really expensive piece of artwork for a year. <laughs> So I think maybe what I should do, like what I was originally trying to do was like just build something like super cheap, but I have this like bike problem where I escalate something super cheap into something super expensive really quick. Yep. And uh, that's what I did there. Cause I had these like 26 inch wheels that had hubs in them and everything. And I was like back, you know, a lot of dirt jumpers are 26 inch wheels still. I was like, dude, I can yep. just get a frame throw these wheels on it'll be super cheap and then um next thing you know i bought a two thousand dollar bike you know like that works yeah have you um have you ever tried single speeding i really want to and that's what i wanted to talk to you guys about because i saw your um your or not yours but hardtail party did a little little video with you while he was at sea otter yep. and you guys actually have something that is specifically built for that it's um yeah it's in the works so uh it's called this we're calling it the solo xd but basically it's um, a single speed conversion kit for uh shram xd style hubs um, so most people when they do like single speeding they do them with like a shimano style cassette that's just what's always been the go-to it was an easy style of hub to get you know spacers and a cog on um and 
it was kind of like just an afterthought, I think, when um, SRAM came out with the with the uh, XD hubs. You know, I mean, they were looking at more being able to put, you know, different types of cassette um, speeds onto those hubs, anywhere from like, you know, their new Eagle, you know, to all the way down to nine speed. And they just never really came up with a great solution for, you know, those people want to take off the gears, you know, every now and then and just single speed, which, you know, it's a huge thing. Like I, I haven't done it in a long time, but yeah. when I did, you know, I would, I would go from having a cassette for, you know, a couple months and then take it off and then switch it back over to single speed. And so with the XD hub, there just wasn't a lot of options and there weren't just a lot of great options. So, you know, that was our kind of thing is like, let's try to make something that's really great and easy to use and can last a long time. So yeah, we're, we're, we've got about five people out there testing them right now. Um, just kind of making sure that everything is dialed in. Um, I think one of the guys that um, is testing it for us is about to do the unbound gravel 200 mile uh, race uh, that they're doing. So it's going to get a lot of use out of it. Um, but I think, you know, we're going to have, we're pretty excited. I'm excited about it. Like I, I'm going to have, you know, be able to start doing single speed again. Um, really. Yeah. I definitely to want to try that. When I first got my hardtail, that was one of my plans was to like, that's why I, I chose the the chameleon was so that I could convert it to single speed easily because the way the dropouts are like adjustable, you know? So I, um, never got around to that project and ultimately you know fast forward a few years i ended up buying another hardtail just recently just because it seemed like the thing to do n plus one or whatever <laughs> well <laughs> i sold i sold the dirt jumper and i was like you know what it would be cool if i had a hardtail to go to the dirt jumps with <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so no that wasn't actually the reason but anyways uh so i bought the hardtail again and i i really would like to try like honestly try single speeding so when i saw that that video that hardtail party did with you um i was like dude this is i need this so i didn't realize it wasn't it wasn't in production yet yeah so it was i mean we were just stoked about it and we had kind of a concept piece that we took out the sea otter you know just literally because we were stoked on it we knew it was coming um so we, mm -hmm. we had some of, some of the uh the parts kind of anodized to kind of show what we were gonna plan on doing so i think some of those kits when we do come out with them probably mid-august late september they're gonna be probably in they'll come in seven different color options um they're gonna come in probably at least three different cog selections um 16 18 and 20 mm -hmm. um don't because you know we haven't gone to production quite yet but um yeah i'm i'm stoked about it i think that i mean as long as you get those couple that you just said i feel like that's pretty much the spread i mean a lot of people just use 16 right yeah you could go bigger pretty easily but on like a a big hub like that it's it's harder to go in a sm smaller tooth pattern around there um yeah just because it, there is you want to explain for the people that are listening, like how that, how that works. What's that? The product. Oh, this, um, so yeah. So the Solo XD is basically, um, if you're familiar with the XD driver on your, the, the hub on your SRAM wheels, um, it's kind of got like a, a cone shape to it. Whereas, and it, and so it's it literally designed only to take, you know, some Shimano cassettes that were designed for that hub, or I'm sorry, SRAM. SRAM, um, yeah. Or design I was like, that. wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, everybody. Um, and so you couldn't really put like just a single cog. It was designed for 
SRAM cassettes. Um, to have right, because then you would have to have like different size, like every spacer and every like. Yeah. But we'll get basically like you would have a bunch like with the Shimano hub, it's all the same. So you just slide a bunch of spacers in, put the put the gear in that you want, put a couple more spacers in and zip it up and it's, you're done. It's just a cylindrical hub that you can slide right. on spacers and, and easily pop, pop on a cog with the Shimano ones. And then that's for years, that's what everybody's probably gone to is just using you know, the Shimano. I didn't, I didn't even know that the uh, SRAM hub was cone shaped until you said that. Like looking kinda, at it, it must be like it must be like like minuscule, right? It's not like it's like a huge. I just because I've never noticed. I mean, I take my cassette off all the time. I've just never really like paid yeah. attention that the back is like way thicker than the front. Yeah, it's it's way different than the Shimano style that most people would be used to probably seeing. Um, yeah, and so basically, what we did is we created a, a carrier that uh, mates up with the SRAM XD kind of coned driver there and um we created a lock ring that basically secures it onto the hub so you put on the, the carrier you can slide on all your spacers and your cog and then there's a lock ring that holds it all together and it's just super super simple and that's that's right. what we're going for is just how do basically we make this just slides over the top of the driver kind of like a like a i don't know what would you say <laughs> Everything it, is it's one of those things that probably would probably be easier to show on video than than to try to, to tell people about on the podcast. But yeah, yeah. yeah. So just think, <laughs> um, think about it like this: if you were building a sand castle and you dumped all that, you dumped your your bucket full of sand upside down and you lift the, the bucket off, and then there's your castle underneath, right? Well, this thing slides right back on like the top of it, like the bucket on the sand sand castle. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. Just slides and right then, on, and then you can put on yeah. your, your space in your cog. So then the lock ring then uses the threads that you would normally be screwing your cassette into, and yep. then that presses against this like sheath, let's just call it, and then yep. holds it and whatever spacers and whatever gear that you have like all in there, sprocket or gear. Is that a sprocket or a gear? I don't know which one's which. Isn't there we'll a difference? With, yeah, we'll go with either. Whatever you want to call it, Robert. Yeah, you're like James is like I'm not answering because I think I'll be wrong, and then all my friends at work. Yeah, right. Not <laughs> a cog. Yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah. I remember reading something recently about like the difference because there was it was like somebody complaining about like in the like the BMX industry, like they call up front a cog, but in like mountain bikes we call it a chain ring. Yeah, and they're like. They're like, I don't understand why. And so, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> I'm sure somebody. Yeah, right, right. I'm just here to butcher the English language, so don't worry <laughs> about me. Um, so back to your derailleur hangers, I also wanted to mention that you guys have a, you have those in, in different colors as well as like some of the like little lock rings and stuff like that. So yeah. you can really bring out your bike. And then you also have a, uh, like a driller hanger finder that's for people that have like older bikes as well. Right. Yep. So you, I mean, you brought up two, two good tools that we have on the website. So like, if you're ever, you know, having troubles, like figuring out a, what bottom bracket you need for your bike. Cause there's so many different standards. Um, we have a bottom bracket finder tool on the website. So wheelsmfg.com. It's right on the homepage. Um, you know, it basically says find your bottom bracket. You can type in 
you know, a few measurements that you'll have to have, um, basically inner diameter of your bottom bracket shell, the width of your shell, um, and the spindle, uh, length and diameter. And it'll basically tell you for your configuration, you need this bottom bracket. Um, and so like you'll you said, need a caliper. You're going to need something to measure in there. Yeah, definitely. Whether yeah. it's, you know, ruler or, or some type of a caliper, you know, it's just, you know, it's a technical product. It's one of those things that, you know, you're going to have to get yeah. a little bit of information to, to kind of uh, give us to, to get you where you need to go. Um, yeah, just letting people know so that they're not thinking that you're going to go in there and be like 1995 Cannondale Jekyll, you know, and like be able to find out what it is. So you're definitely going to have to do some measurements. Yeah. So Yeah, we, we make a tool too. It's called the BB gauge. Um, it basically can get all those measurements for you um, in one shot. It's a cheap tool. Um, you can get on right at on. your basically online or at your bike shop. Um, you can take it home and measure all that stuff. But uh, yeah, the, the hanger, the hanger tool, um, like you're mentioning too, same thing. It's, it's on the website um, and you can just go there and basically pop in the, the model in the brand in the year of your bike. And it, you know, it's, it's a growing database. And like I said, there are, it's, it's got well over 10,000 different, you know, model frame and makes in there. Um, so there's a potential that it, you know, maybe we don't have your bike in there. But for the most part, we've got all the angles covered. You're going to type in your make, model, and year. You're going to figure out what hanger you need. If it doesn't pop up, you know, you can always easily send us an email or just give us a ring. Um, and we can see, you know, maybe we just haven't added your bike to that database. But it's it's insane. Like, there's just so many bikes out there and so many different hangers that every bike manufacturer uses. that. I mean, it's just always growing. You guys have a derailleur hanger wall chart even. So if you want a poster of all of the derailleur hangers, you can you can yep. get it right there. Yeah. It's uh it, I think I think this may be the last year for that thing, but we've been doing that basically since since we started making hangers. Every year we would put out this um hanger chart that had, you know, a, a picture, a life-size picture of each hanger. And so uh -huh. the bike shops get them and hang them up, and they could literally you know, say, well, I've got this hanger off my customer's bike. I can kind of eyeball it off the chart there and see which one it is. Oh, nice. But we make 600 different hangers now, Robert. So like, I mean, unless we make like 20 of those, it'll turn into wallpaper is what it'll turn into. Right. <laughs> so like, sorry, your shop's not big enough for a derailleur hanger posters. <laughs> so we've been you need at least 90 feet of wall space. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I, I think we had to retire that. We were killing too many trees making those posters, but um, yeah, you can you can always go to the website um, if you have questions about like you know what what derailleur hanger do I have you know on my particular bike and, and kind of figure that out. Especially on like some of those older models, you know, with COVID, everybody kind of drug out the bikes from the garage and knocked the dust off them and got riding yeah. on them again because they needed a way to kind of exercise. I couldn't you know go to the gym or use the bus, and uh, so we had a, a, just a ton of people you know they would call us and. You know, I've got, I've got this 1980s stump jumper, right. you know, can you tell me what I have? And, and we had to do a little bit of research on a lot of those, but a lot of that stuff made it into the database. So we did the work for you. All you got to do is go in there and, and kind of uh, poke around. You'll find out what you need. Well, I, I imagine you guys have been around long enough that like once you've machined that part, it's not like yeah. you have to continue to make that part and like for the rest of eternity, but you do have the ability to make it. So like, yeah. If there's something that you don't actually carry stock of, you got, I'm sure you guys have some kind of like one-off situation where you can be like, yeah, we can, we can freaking bang one of those out. But. I mean, so the, the, the truth is we, we try to keep a stock of basically if, if we've manufactured the hanger at some point, we try to keep 
some amount of stock on hand because at some point somebody, some shop, some, you know, some guy in Italy who's Bianchi broke down and it's yeah. you know, in the seventies. Um, he's going to need that hanger. And, and we like to just, we like to have them available. So, you know, if a shop right. calls or somebody's got to race the next day, it's like, you know, we want to have it's that. Probably, it's, yeah. It's probably easiest to just like, my assumption would be you have something like this. You have some kind of inventory management system that tells you, Hey, we would like to have 50 of these. And today we have 49. So now yeah. it's time to do another batch. And because of that, then you have to set up your machine with the right tooling to make that part and everything like that. So it's like, all right, we'll just bang out another thousand. And if this lasts for the rest of the life, like eternity, yeah. then that makes sense for like the size of the like bulk material that you have to get. Would that be yeah. accurate? Yeah. And it sounds, I mean, like you work in manufacturing, that's, you know, I'm sure it's probably the same for you guys too. If you're making widgets or parts or something, you know, you kind of have, yeah. you know, a, a list of things where, you know, you're, you're keeping track of inventory, you know, watching for it to hit a certain level before you're like, okay, we gotta, we gotta pump some of these out. So yeah, the, the whole process of, you know, going and, and setting up the machines and then pumping them out um, kind of happens, you know, yeah. based on me. but honestly, we, we just, I think ultimately it's like, we have these products and, these people, these, like these derailleur hangers, I mean, that's, if you don't have it, you can't ride your bike. And so, you know, we, we take that with a grain of salt and understand, like we have these parts that's always keep them on hand. So if somebody runs into a pinch, they can, they can get that hanger when they need it. You know, I would imagine like the manufacturers themselves don't carry those parts forever either. Like if I had like my 1995, like L Jekyll that we were joking around about a minute ago, like, if I call it Cannondale, they probably don't have it. Like they're probably like, dude, you need to buy a new bike, man. No, I mean, <laughs> you're going to have that OEM, you know, manu bike manufacturer saying, Hey, call wheels manufacturing. They probably still have it. Yeah. Um, I mean, we get a ton of those calls. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I never really thought about it in that aspect. I mean, I don't even know how far back a bike company would carry parts for, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I, I would imagine it's probably only a, like, within 10 years or less probably yeah i mean especially like bigger brands you know that pump out you know how many models per year of, a, of bikes you know right how, how long are they really you know those bikes go away how long are they going to sit on replacement parts and i think i think right. a lot of them probably rely on companies like wheels who you know manufactures a lot of these smaller type parts um, to kind of keep them going yeah yeah that's really interesting to think about you know I didn't really like, these are the things that I enjoy about these podcasts is they like get you to think about some aspects of like the industry or like things that you like as a, a, a normal user, just kind of like you take things for granted. Like in my mind, I would just think, Hey, I should be able to call Santa Cruz for a derailleur hanger, no matter like what year my bike is, because they're the ones that built it. Right. One would yeah, you think. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, I think that's kind of, kind of the reality is, you know, I mean, somebody has got to kind of keep some of these parts going. And I think, you know, wheels have been doing it so long that we're just kind of known. I mean, like if, if you need a derailleur hanger, you're going to wheels manufacturing. I mean, that's just, yeah, just kind of how it happens, especially like aftermarket. So I'm going to ask if you guys don't make this, you really should. Do you guys have some kind of like machined piece that I can like, be like oh this is an m6 with a one inch thread pattern on it and just screw it in there and figure out what screw it is that i need to like <laughs> that's like specific for like bike stuff because like, like, 
measure like uh, thread pitches and things like the thread pitch or like even what size bolt it is like sometimes like you'll snap a bolt or you'll have like three of them and you need four of them and you're like shit dude i don't know what size this is to like yeah. and like if you go to home depot for example like maybe they don't have that size because like bikes have like real odd like sizes for things like it's like i don't know like like if you buy a tool set you'll never get uh like an eight mil um wrench but yeah. that's what you need to change your brakes right so like if you had that little bolt and you're like dude what size is this I, you wouldn't be able to to know like it, it would be hard to come up with you know what i mean yeah no i think you're totally right like you know we were talking about standards in the bike industry earlier and and then you know with bolts that's that's a, a big issue is that every bike has different bolts you know in the next and so it's like you know different lengths different threads different you know types um so we, we actually carry um, a ton of that stuff. We manufacture some of it as well. So like if you're ever missing a bolt from your bike, the chances are you're going to probably find it on the website. Um, we do, and we're actually, it's good thing you brought it up. So we are making a new, what we call like a ruler board that basically has the different styles of the bolts and the different bolt patterns that you'll actually mm -hmm. be able to unscrew the bolt, you know, screw it into your bike to see if it fits or vice versa. You know, you have the bolt from the bike, you're going to be able to say, oh yeah, that's, yeah. that's M6 thread or you know, that's yeah. meter. Um, so yeah, that's small bits and parts. Like that's a huge part of our business too. Like that. And that's one of those parts that like, we don't, um, we don't brand or anything is like, you're not going to find a logo on it, but when you're, yeah. when you're looking for it, you're like, where do I find this? Like, do I, do I yeah. go down to the local hardware store? No, I mean, you can literally, you know, just, you know, you, if not, your local bike shop probably has our yeah. products. And, and I bought stuff. something like that from like uh, Amazon, but it doesn't like, it doesn't actually have the thread pitch in it. Yep. So it's like, you just like stick the bolt in there and you're like, yeah, that might be the right size because it fits in this hole. And that's the thing where I'm like, sometimes it's like, that's, I guess with metric, it's not, is it always the same pitch with metric? Is that what it is? No, I mean... Like I said, thread pitches can vary all over the place. That's so you what bring I up a, yeah. you bring up a good point. Like let's let's say like through axles, right? So we right. we launched through axles for bikes, I think uh probably six, seven months ago. We carry a full line of them. If if you've never and you probably you probably wouldn't, like if you ever compared through axles, they're totally different in length, in thread pitch, in thread length. So I mean, like you wouldn't be able to just, you know, if you lost or you broke your through axle, I mean you have to get that exact part, it's gotta be that exact thread pitch, that exact thread length to fit your frame. So um, yeah, that's another thing too. Like if you, if you ever needed to figure out like, let's say like what your through axle uh, thread was or the pitch or the length, um, we actually have a downloadable um, tool on our website. You can just literally download it, print it out, hold your through, through axle up to it and it'll give you like all the different uh, thread pitches, thread lengths, um, all that stuff. But definitely yeah, yeah. don't do, we had somebody call in um, about a week ago who I guess had, had I guess lost their through axle, like they'd taken off a wheel or something like that, misplaced the through axle, had went on like uh, Amazon and just kind of tried to, I guess, eyeball, you know, like, eh, it's kind of about that long, you know, <laughs> or it, it yeah. looks like it'll work. And the problem is that when that person got that through axle, they tried to thread it into their frame. And the, you know, there's, it was instead of a, a one millimeter thread pitch, it was like a one and a half. And so they basically tore the threads cross, right out of the frame. Yeah. yeah cross thread that stuff in there. So, yeah. Right. I mean, you bring up a great point with bolts, man. It's, it's like, 
make sure you, you know what you're getting before you screw it into your bike or you're going to have problems. Um, so yeah, yeah, you would think that that stuff is standardized, but really it's, it's, it's really just comes down to the design engineer. That's like building that part. Like, design engineer, like that's what they had yeah. available, you know, for that particular yeah. model. It's like, maybe it was only M six bolts that were available. Who knows? Yeah. 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 It's kind of crazy. So it would be nice to have something that has those like, like kind of the, the all in one tool, like yeah. even if it was like, like nine by seven or something, you know what I mean? Like I could screw a through axle into it. I could put this bolt in there take it out and I know what I need to buy. So I, next I would couple, the next couple, so we do, we do have some, I think we might have kind of run out because we're about to launch a new one of what you're talking about. We call it the, the ruler board uh, for now. The, the name might change in the next couple months when we roll it out, but that's what it's got. It's basically got, you know, some ways to measure stuff. It's it's basically got a way to test the different thread pitches um, to make sure that the you know the bolt that you got is is what you need. Um, yeah, I think a, most making a wheels manufacturing list right now. I need a yeah. Make, 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 a make your wish uh, list. I need a single speed adapter kit and a ruler board. So far, man, I'm gonna. <laughs> This podcast is going to cost me like a thousand dollars. Hey guys, if you want to join my Patreon, now would be a good time to do it. <laughs> we got you set up with the with the biker discount too. Don't forget about that. Oh uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I forgot to mention that. So those of you guys that made it this far, you're going to get the ten. Was it ten percent? Ten percent off your first order at Wheels Manufacturing Retail Order. Um, just use code Biker. So B one K E R Biker. Does it matter if it's a uh, uppercase or lowercase or? I don't think so. I think if you just punch that in, it should should work for you. Try them both. Maybe uppercase gives you fifteen percent. You'll never. Yeah, know. right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if it doesn't work, just give us a call or send us an email. But I think that's. I think you're good. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's awesome. I'll definitely put that in the show notes as well. So um, keep keep people keep people in the know. Does that like expire after a certain amount of time? Do I have to call you every I mean, year and be? I think Dude. it's good until it isn't. We'll just say that. How about that? Okay, that sounds good. I'll okay. throw that up there on. I, I keep a list of all of those type of things for my Patreon people. So not to plug Patreon more, but but I actually do. So like pretty much all the vendors that I, I work with and some of them, like the way their system's set up, it's like, yeah, it only works for a year. So I kind of have the caveat of if you use one of these codes that's here and it doesn't work, let me know and I'll, I'll get it squared away. Most right. of the time, everybody's like, yeah, we'd like to sell more of our stuff. We'll fix that code for you. Yeah. So, Exactly. So, um, how much, how much thing, or wait a minute, I didn't want to get into single speeds yet. I want to talk more about the through axles. So is the main reason that like people would get one of your through axles is just once again to like change the color or they like mess theirs up. Is that kind of what it comes down to? Or is there any kind of like other advantage to your part? Um, so our through axles, um, are priced pretty competitively. So, I mean, they're a great price. So if you need one, it's a good place to start. Um, I mean, they're made right there in Louisville, Colorado. They're made at, you're, you're made out of 6061 aluminum, I believe. And, um, you know, they're just, they're quality. So basically you have five millimeter hex on both sides. So let's say a, a side gets damaged, you know, you, you wreck your bike, you can use either side to get that through axle out. Um, so okay. through axles don't have that. Um, the other thing that you can, um, uh, do with ours is that we have these, uh, through axle caps. So a lot of people will anodize the entire through axle, but you never see that color. I mean, you only see what's on the end. So instead of anodizing the full axle, 
we basically got Thraxel end cap. So you can customize it, I think in seven different colors as well. Um, add a little extra bling onto ours um, by just adding these uh, end caps that pop in, um, kind of give you a little extra bling on them. Um, right on. Yeah. We, we got, so really, got full, full selection. So is yeah. Bikes. So if you're thinking about changing some blingy blingy stuff on your bike, wheels manufacturing is a place to go, huh? I imagine you guys do like headset spacers and stuff like that as well, like other little rings. Yep. Headset spacers and top caps, kind of a new one. Um, we kind of offer like the classic one where you kind of have like the, the, um, the stem bolt that goes to the top um, and you can kind of see it exposed. And then we also have like what we call the pro line. Um, they use like our stack, right? Technology, we call it. Um, so basically the, the spacers are channeled so they lock together so they don't, you know, end up misaligned, um, especially for people with like OCD like me. I hate, I hate seeing, uh, you know, spacers that don't line up just right. Um, and then. Oh, you're speaking they, my language, man. Don't yeah. even get me started on the OCD. It's dude. the little details that just drive you nuts. Um, so the stack right thing keeps, keeps uh, the spacers uh, lined up looking good. And then um, on, a, on the pro line, we have a flat top cap that basically, it, you know, you can't see the bolt. So it attaches to the um, stem bolt and gives you like this clean, flat look on the top. So mm -hmm. a little bit, little bit nicer look to it, a little cleaner than kind of like the classic headset spacer top caps that you're used to. You know what you should go tell your engineer to make tomorrow. That uh, I think would be very well received, at least by me. Yeah. It is uh, a top cap that has a Garmin mount on it but like out in front of it. So like, like what I buy right now is like a stem spacer that has a Garmin mount on, on like a hinge. Yep. Right. But if you could actually just have the top cap itself, then it like would raise it up high enough that it's like maybe not fighting against the stem sometimes. And that would be like the better solution. And there's not one of those out there. There's definitely like a, top cap that is actually just a garmin mount you know what i mean like so that it would be like right there on your top cap but yeah. not what i'm saying so if you want me to make you some some like mock-ups i can do <laughs> if need somebody to make it out of metal yes. yeah uh, we've got, yeah. that's funny that you mentioned that too so that's another thing that's gonna um probably be launching out in the next six months or so will be some type of um spacers with some of the mounts and things um so you can actually yeah. do that I think that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. I think that there's some different, like some definite, like different places that you could mount your computer that would be like handy, you know. And um, me personally, like the reason I thought of this in the conversation was you were, we were joking about the OCD thing, yeah. and like I don't personally like seeing like the the Garmin like out out in front of the handlebars. It's like just like it feels like it's in it's in the way. I don't want to look yep. at it like that. And I kind of want to see it like right, like in, in line with my stem. Right. So the only way to really do that is like with the little rubber bands, which break sometimes, and that could be a problem or like a, a top cap kind of like what I talked about. That's just, but when you get that one that just goes straight onto the top cap, it like doesn't have an angle to your Garmin then. So then it's like real pain in the ass to try to actually read. Right. Yeah. So, uh, that stem cap one is really the only one that I found that I really enjoy. But like I said, I feel like there's room for improvement. I don't like, I seen like the other day I was watching, um, Sid Mackey's channel and Sid has yep. like her Garmin, like with the rubber band doohickeys, like to the left of the stem. And I'm like, 
oh my god dude that's not in the middle like it's driving <laughs> me crazy the whole time that's all i would be thinking about is how much it's got to be lined up yeah yeah it needs to be centered man <laughs> so help me yeah, i don't know man. With the, with with the Garmin, so like I saw that I don't know if you see us. I just bought a new uh, salsa timber jack, uh, hardtail okay. frame, and built that up. And um, so it's it's a mountain bike frame, and it's actually got three water bottle bosses on the top tube, kind of closer to the stem. Mm -hmm. And so I've used um, there's basically there's a Garmin mount that attaches to those stem bolts, and I just attach my computer to the um, to the top tube. And yeah. for me, it, it kind of actually works pretty good. It's like, it doesn't have to be so in your face. It's just a little bit lower. Yeah, yeah. That wouldn't bother me either. I tried spinning that stem cap one around so that it was like actually like just at an angle, but like closer to your, your stomach than, or your body, than it would be like pointing out in the front. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? Uh -huh. And uh, I tried that, but what happens is like sometimes when you're turning in certain like circumstances, like then your knee will hit your, your Garmin. Like <laughs> you don't realize like how close it gets or like, or like, um, you'd be like standing, you know how, like you're just kind of like hovering over your bike, like taking a drink, standing on the side of the trail. Yeah. Well in that position, then sometimes you would bump your Garmin and it'll like twist it off of it. And I was yeah. like, well, that doesn't work. So I've changed that. That was a no go, but I've seen some other guys do, kind of like what you're saying about the 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 top tube like where they've used some kind of like 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 i think there's a company that makes like a strap that you can like strap to the top tube and then yeah. like the garmin mounts in it kind of like that where you don't have that bolt that you were talking about yeah but yeah i know that's 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 pretty cool that that's up i feel like companies should like some of these bike companies should start taking these things into consideration. And I think that they're slowly starting to, you know, like with the whole like glove box where it's like, Hey, we're building these frames and they have all this empty space in it. And for years, guys have been buying bags to carry their shit in. You, you know what I mean? Like I've seen um, another bike brand, something recently it was like on Sam Pilgrim's channel and like whoever, whatever brand that was, they, they actually had like, a bottle water bottle designed that like fits into the kind of like a cutout on the top tube oh that's interesting yeah it was really cool and i think like when i saw it at first i was like that's right that they thought of that and i think the reason that they did it was because the way that their suspension design was that they didn't have a lot of room in their center center triangle for like an actual water bottle so, so the bike frame itself was was the cage it wasn't like a yeah yeah so it's like and it's like a proprietary bottle it's not like it fits a regular bottle but it was like the like right off of where the stem is instead of the solid the top tube being solid it was kind of like two like sidebars let's just say yeah. and then so then you had this slot that this like kind of like rectangular bottle could click into and then um like then you have this like water storage there you know and and um I think a design like that, then it's like, okay, well, this is what, like, let's just say their size is like 650 milliliters or something like that. But then yeah. that leaves it open for like some third party to be like, hey, we can put like 1300 milliliters in here if you don't like, if you want to carry that, you, you know what I mean? And so like, why is it, uh, yeah, somebody said in the comments, like Canyon e-bike. So um, like, why are they like disregarding the fact that like, 
the majority of their users are carrying like carrying some kind of computer like a garmin or are going to use some kind of light like a you know what i mean to like ride with like why not like, like the specialized with... swap box or whatever i mean i think that's it, it's like a super simple solution to just for storage right yeah just yeah down tube you can stuff your burrito in there or whatever you got yeah. you know your wallet and yeah. It's, yeah, it's, Santa it's, Cruz oh. now has that, that. They're calling it the glove box. Trek has had something for a while. I forget what they, everybody, you know, their marketing guys got to give it their own name. You know, it's like Ford in the front, <laughs> right? It's like, right. look, everybody's going to have a trunk in the front of their their electric vehicle. We, you know, we don't all need a new name for it. But yeah, I mean, like generally speaking, I think that's the things that's going to like start to set some bike companies apart, you know, is like what we were talking about earlier something that is allowing you to order on a more of an a la carte basis. And then like what bike company is actually going to have those kind of like extra, like kind of functionality that, sure. you know, the other bike doesn't have because that, how many people have you heard in the last two years say it doesn't matter what bike you buy, they're all going to be good. I mean, they're, the technology is great now. Manufacturing processes are down. I mean, like, yeah, most bikes that you pick up now are, are they're really good bikes. Right. So like there has to be like small differences then that are going to start being the, the difference of like why you choose this bike or that other, you know, obviously the, the things like customer service and like warranty and stuff like that will still be there. But, but at the end of the day, like a lot of people look at a bike and like, what's cool about it? How's it look? And like, does it have all like these features? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's just, it's a, you know, I think the industry is the point where now, like the bike hasn't changed in however many, what, a hundred plus years, right? I mean, it's still a frame with two wheels and, and pedals right. and, and a chain. But I think we've hit that point. Like now these companies got to really start stepping back and, you know, really figure out like, what can we do to make this better for the user to really make this more unique, to change change the game a little bit. You know I mean? I think, it's, it's something we do at wheels every day. It's like, we, you know, we hold regular meetings where it's, we just brainstorm and try to like, how can we improve this, make this better, make this more unique. And I think, mm -hmm. I think we're probably going to see a ton more of that in the cycling industry. You know I mean? I think bikes are probably, probably struggling to sell bikes right now because so many people bought them during COVID. You know, it's yeah. like, what, how, what do you do to make that bike unique to make yeah. people want yeah. to buy it? Yeah, I think the the service that you guys are offering is really a good one because I think I think a lot of people like to individualize their bikes. You know, it's like there, you know, there's companies like Sticker that does decals to, to change the, that. You know, there's like, um, you know, blinging out of the di different parts and stuff like that. And and it's really something that, for example, at Wheels that you could do at a very low cost and like really personalize your bike. And like you change the headset spacers, you change some like your water bottle bolts, like Seth does this on his channel all the time. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, I don't know if you guys make like, do you guys make like like uh, valve stem caps too or no? We don't make those, no, but I did see yeah. that. I mean, yeah, Seth definitely had had a bunch of those at one point, didn't he? Do you guys make uh, C colors maybe? So that may or may not be something that's coming. I mean, I would love to see us. We don't currently. <laughs> I would love to see, you know, it kind of run out the product line. I think that that would be one of yeah. those cool things. I feel like if you guys, like there's some space where you guys could really like become the, the, the like 
the one-stop shop for customization, you know, and do you, I don't know, I'm, I'm like, keep bringing up things that you, you're not selling. I'm starting to feel bad. Like, what about like, uh, do you guys do like, like pulley wheels? Do you do those? Uh, so like you're talking like the derailleur jockey wheels. Yeah. Um, no, we don't, we don't quite do anything um, with those. I mean, I think, you know, now we're, we're obviously we're making some of the, the, the cogs for like single speeds and stuff. So, you know, where that goes, who knows? Um, I think so that would probably feel like a pretty natural progression to go to chain rings then, huh? I mean, it, it, it could be, you know, it could be easily one of those things that, that we do. Um, it's definitely probably a need out there. I mean, I think there's a lot of great companies out there that are doing it. Um, I think if, you know, we can put our own little spin on it um make it fun but i think like you said i mean i think customizing is is kind of where it's at like there's a ton of bikes out there and people want to you know they're not buying new bikes right now they're just trying to a maintain their bikes right so upgrading maintenancing you know trying to make them look a little bit more unique a little more theirs and i think like for for us you know wheels like we're a one-stop shop for that type of thing like if you want to yeah put i feel a little- like i feel like if you guys were making chain rings and pulleys like at least in my perception what the value would be there as a customer is that i would know that all of the parts that i buy the anno is going to be the same color and that would that would be right you know like that like just the color alone would be enough reason for me to like buy everything from you 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 know what i mean yeah like if, if you've ever compared like annos from different companies it's strange how different you know some color variances are yeah, I mean, you could get a blue from Project Three Two One that's not the same as the blue from Industry Nine. That's yeah. not the same blue from, like, I don't know. Uh, Industry Nine. Or- yeah, yeah, like, like so, like you could get like, oh, I got blue hooks, and I'm gonna get a blue chainring, and you go over to, to you know, chainring.com, whoever company that is, <laughs> and you you buy theirs, like Wolftooth, for example. Yeah. You know, they their blue might not be the same color. You know, yeah. I ran into this with, uh, the green basically. Like I, I had my last bike, I had a custom painted and I had a bunch of like, anno parts on it. And like almost everything that I bought, the green was a different color. It was really annoying, you know? And if I could come to like, if I knew I could go to wheels and get like stem caps, spacers, a cassette or not a cassette, like a, a chain ring and shit, if I wanted to change my pulleys too, like, <laughs> boom all that would be the same color like you know what i mean like the bolts would be the same color like to me i feel like like an oval chain ring is an oval chain ring i don't feel like it's like i don't really give a shit who's like who it's from like i just want it to be like the color and the shape that and the amount of teeth that i want you know what i mean I mean, there's a, there's a ton of room i mean we can make a lot more things and and i'm sure we will i think i think what's going to get interesting is like uh with e-bikes right? Yeah. Like, how are people going to really start customizing those? Because I mean, like those motors and things like, oh, really yeah, yeah, I can I imagine it. that's going to go. That's going to be a whole gonna... other thing. What the hell? So you guys have some e-bike parts on there. What, what is that stuff that you got on this on the site there? I saw something that said e-bikes. Oh, uh, e-bikes. So um, your tools, well, I mean, oh, it's like e-bike tools. What kind of e-bike tools do you need? Yep. Not many. Well, I mean, I think once you kind of get into, you know, the meat of a, you know, one of those bikes, those motors is really just electronics. There's only like a few kind of cogs or gears in there, but oh, the only, 
yeah, the only way to get into most of those motors is through these like super unique lock rings. And they're all different across the brands, even within like some brands, um, different types of motors have those different types of lock rings. So, I mean, like nobody made these lock ring tools to get the lock rings off so people would get in and fix the bike. So, I mean, we just kind of saw the opportunity there. Um, and we make like a full line of them now. I, mean, I think there's, you know, not, not too many that we don't make. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you have a problem with an e-bike motor, the only way to get into it really is is by removing that lock ring that's on there. And if you don't have the tool, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like the lock ring. So for those of you that are maybe not quite familiar, like there's a specific tool that will take the center lock lock ring off of a hub or um i got some of them up here behind me like for your bottom bracket like there's a specific tool like that's tooled here i can show the people looking ah! so it'd be like something like this crazy looking circle with all these divots on the inside that only fits this is for like only a certain kind of bottom bracket where like the other tool that i have up there is not the same one for the center lock but does work on some bottom brackets so i don't know it's just weird. Yeah. There was like it's, a tool I mean, like that. Essentially, it's just it's a it's a key. I mean, is really all yeah. it is. It's a a key with a certain tooth pattern, and if you don't have it, there's no way to get those. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's probably a way to get them off, but no easy yeah. way to get that lock ring off of there. So yeah, we've yeah. we've got a ton of those, um, and we make some other things too, like uh, some cable wrap and things like that for e-bikes. Um, you know, kind of do cable management because there's all those, you know, electrical wires that come with those e-bikes. And so like, you know, trying to keep them together, we, um, we sell spiral wrap. Yeah. You think those guys that were like designing those bikes would have came up with like a better way to route all that shit and not make it look like a freaking like rat's nest. Yeah. Some do it better than others. I mean, I think like those, you know, the lower end e-bikes, you know, obviously they're trying to save money. Um, you yeah. know, riding probably wasn't the consideration. So you just, you'll have spaghetti all over the front of your bike. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't understand. I mean, I've seen some of the bigger companies as well. And maybe like they're, maybe that was just like, Hey, let's get the first one out and then we'll fix that in rev two or something like that. But yeah. it's definitely like, you look at it and you're like, Oh my God, that's the one thing that like access does. That's beautiful to me is get rid of more cables that are up there. And, the wireless shifting aspect. Yeah. Yeah. My buddy has that access dropper too. So it's like, he doesn't even, he just has two brake cable brake lines. And it's like, Oh my God, that just looks so good compared yeah, I'm all, to. I'm all for less cables. I mean, I went yeah. access as well. And like, I'm glad I didn't have to deal with any of the internal routing on some of my bikes. Yeah. I am. Um, I, I wish SRAM, SRAM made a 200 mil axis dropper. I would buy it and I would bitch about how much it costs, but I would still buy it just to not have that cable. Yeah. Like that's how much it means to me. The, the post cables, they're the worst. I hate working on those. Oh man. And it's like, it, it's like, it's like this magic trick to get it down in the, into the frame without it like slipping off the little housing or the like, yeah. You're like, is it really still connected as I'm pushing it down? Exactly. And then like next time you pull it out because it's not working, you, you look at it and it's like bent in like a Z and you're like, <laughs> how the hell is this working anyway? You know? Yeah. Oh, 
it's like a, a science to kind of cut off just the right amount of cable to yeah. make sure that it either works or doesn't work. Yeah, pretty much the way I have mine is like I like my housing, my like cables to be like as short as possible, right? Yep. So basically, I have to take my dropper lever off in order to make the cable housing go through enough that I can take the dropper out of the frame. Yeah. Because that makes, I can't just turn the handlebars because it's like, nope, it's too short. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's right there, but it's not coming out. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you've ever done that, but like, yeah, if you if you didn't measure correctly and you cut it too short, and so you put it all together, and then you go to turn the handlebars and find oh, out shit. you can't do it. Yeah, that's. Oh yeah, that's I haven't weird. done it. I haven't made that oh, mistake yet. Can't believe I've done that. Yeah, I can't believe I did that. Oh man, there's some there's some mistakes that I make regularly though, like checking the tire 16 times and then still putting the tread on backwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> after i did push core as well and you're like yeah, facing oh, backwards oh my god it's so annoying it's uh, like dude i checked that like six times and then you're like yeah i forgot i set it down to go grab that wrench and then or that that uh tire lever and then i flipped it around somehow when i picked it up yeah it's it's the worst when somebody else notices that you did it <laughs> yeah yeah or like when you have a youtube channel and there's all these people watching your video and they're like hey do you know your tires on backwards and you're like yeah, yeah. i did that on purpose no <laughs> somebody else did damn bike shop <laughs> insert bike shop name that you don't like <laughs> yeah so um so you you went to a sea otter was that your first one um yeah so that's the first time i mean for me personally going to sea otter i think it had been um geez it probably been a while for a wheel since they had been the one um Probably, yeah, geez, so how, who knows, 10 years. How do you think it went for you guys? I think, you know, it was really good. I think, so the industry in general used to go to, it was like an industry only show, which was Interbike. Yeah, um, yeah, I've been to that. And it, and so I think that went away, you know, somewhere around like 2018, 2019 maybe. Yeah, and so yeah. it wasn't really like an industry event. Well, I mean, I think what Sea Otter did is like they became probably the premier not only industry event, but public event too um, for cycling, at least in North America. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it was great, man. I think like people, like the vibe was great. The energy was really good. You know, it's Seattle is based around um, all the race events that they have. So they have road race, uh, enduro, cross country race that happens. So, you know, if, if you're wandering around the event, not only are you checking out all these cool vendors with all their new stuff, but you're also going there and seeing a lot of really cool athletes, watching people race. Um, most type of things. Are I think favorite YouTubers are there. Yeah, Robert was there. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's just, I thought it was a good event. I mean, what did you think? You were there, so. Yeah, I've been going for a few years. Um, I, I, I like it. Um, I think it's a little overwhelming your first time that you're there. Like, and I don't know if um, that was for me the first time that I went because like I'm trying to figure out how to like go up and talk to these vendors as a as a like an influencer or it was just like overwhelming in the fact pure fact of like oh my god there's so much here to look at you know what I mean it's like yeah. holy cow so I will say that I I really like that sea otter is open to the public compared to how interbike was yeah because when I went to interbike you know, 
as a, a media person, like mm-hmm. I remember thinking, man, this is really cool. It, it's too bad that like there's not an event like this that the, the public could come to, you know. And um, so I think it's cool that Seattle is doing that. It's kind of weird. Like the one thing about Interbike that was like because it was industry specific, like you had like. 95 or not 95 you had like a whole section that was like these are all companies that make e-bike batteries and they're trying to get other companies that are building e-bikes to use their batteries so i i started to see like what felt like a little bit of that happening at sea otter this year where i was like as a consumer you don't really give a crap and i don't feel like it's like the right place for for that so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how how it goes next year because I would imagine those companies that went this year probably didn't get the reception that they were expecting, and then so then it would open that up for you know more actual bike kind of consumer based products to be to be having tents or something like that. So I thought yeah. it was really cool. I, I like the event. Don't get me wrong. I totally like the event. Um, yeah, but, I mean, I think if, if people haven't been, I mean, it's it's not it's not. I wouldn't say it's something you could really do like in a day, like if you yeah. went to check it out. Like it's it's that big that you could probably spend a couple of days really just wandering around checking out all the people. But I think from the brand perspective of us, like Wheels Manufacturing showing up there, like I think it was just with COVID and like not being able to get out and like meet people. It was like it was great to finally just get back out and like meet the people who use your products and listen to the ideas that they have, you know, and see how they're actually using. Like a lot of people brought like their own bikes in. So you'd, mm-hmm. you'd see like a wheels bottom bracket from 10 years ago, still being used today. Like that was yeah. one example. This guy was, he was totally into it. You know, he was telling us about, you know, how often he, you know, has serviced his bearings and, you know, he, he just loved it because the shell was, you know, still in perfect shape, you know, yeah. just little things like that. I mean, I think it was just kind of cool to make I- those kind of, again i think as a brand like for like wheels to be there i think that it's it it would it's a priceless event you know there's so many people there from all over the place um because it's such a big event you know you have not just like northern california people that come that there you know what i mean because because of the race there's a lot of people that are coming from all over the place so um i mean if i was a company that would be the one i go to um the other ones that are like as a as a person, I mean, Sedona's super fun. Like you know, you've been there. I would imagine yeah. Bentonville's the same vibe. It's like you know, a band playing and music and good trails like right there. Like those events, like as a person to go like see a handful of your favorite brands. You know, like those are cool too because then you, you it's like it's not so big that it's like oh my god, I feel like I need to be here for four days to be able to see all these tents. You know what I mean? Yeah, another good one too that uh, actually we'll be at in late September. It's like the 29th of September through like the third October is um, Outer Bike Moab. That oh, was yeah. really I've never been to that. Uh, we went last year, and yeah, it's just it's got a it's it's a great location. Um, it's just right outside of Moab. Um, it's right on trails. I think it's the Bar M trails. I think is kind of what's around that area. Um, but yeah, it's, it's basically, it's a demo event. So, you know, people pay, they show up, they get to ride, you know, bikes, check out all the blues, all that type of stuff for three or four days. But so, so is it a lot like Sedona now that you've been to, to both? Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's kind of definitely, um, it's real similar. 
You know, I mean, they've got, you know, bands and giveaways and, you know, events that yeah. kind of happen throughout the day. What is it? You said it's in the fall? Uh, the, the Yeah, so they have a couple different ones, uh, I think. Um, but the one that we have gone to and we'll be going to again this year is Moab Outer Bike. Um, in, it's on September 29th. Oh, man, it's like right around my, my wife's birthday. That's, that's what's... Is I'm going to tell her, guess what? We're going to a mountain bike festival for your birthday. Wouldn't that be fun? You guys, you guys can, yeah, come <laughs> on. Some bikes and you guys can go and check out Arches National Park. And Oh, yeah. No, I definitely want to go, though. I, I've heard a lot about that event, and I've never been, so I think it would be really fun to go check it out. And I've never been to Moab either, so... How know, far of a drive is that for you from Denver? Um, it's it's like six hours. It's it's not too, bad. Not too it's, bad. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, what would that be yeah. for you guys? Probably. I don't know. It's probably like 10, 12 hours. It's got to be like yeah, thirteen hour drive, something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. not horrible, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I've driven to Sedona. Usually, the way way like a twelve hour like road trip is always fun on the way there, and then on the way back, you're like, I should have flew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but i feel like Moab is probably one of those places where like the closest place to fly in is still going to be like three four hour drive or something like that i don't know the weird thing is i know there's a small little airport right right across from the venue i don't know if it's like commercial airlines but if you wanted to catch like a puddle jumper there's probably that option yeah but i would think that like your main like it's kind of like um uh, i'm drawing a blank on the spot right now but there's several places to ride where it's like, oh, like you should fly into Salt Lake and then drive three hours. You should fly into Denver and then, yeah. you know, drive the two hours or whatever it is to go to this place. And so um, I feel like Moab is probably one of those. It's like Eugene. Like, yeah, there's probably an airport there, but nobody flies into that airport. You're going to fly into right. Portland and you're going to drive down, there, you know, or Bend is a, a good example of what I was trying to think of, not Eugene. Um, but anyways right on man so what are you excited about this uh what what's what's exciting over there at wheels right now at wheels i mean i think honestly our big push is just you know to kind of get um that solo xd um single speed kit out um sometime august september i mean I, i'm looking forward to it personally just because i want to throw it on one of my bikes so um that that salsa timberjack uses their alternator dropout for single speed so i'll probably probably ride it around geared for a little bit longer but once the solo xd comes out i'll throw that on there um yeah, so that's super interested in that that's gonna be fun it's gonna be a lot of work for us um kind of kicking that off um but yeah how long does it take to to like make a product like that i mean from like conception till the point that you're ready to manufacture yeah i mean it's you know it's all comes down to complexity i mean something that's like you know a seat post collar probably doesn't take that long right it's just you know a circle with a hole in it and but like the, the solo XD, you know, is obviously a lot more development and testing that has to go into something like that um, to make sure that, you know, it, it doesn't make noise or, you know, it doesn't fall apart, you know. So um, mm -hmm. I would say, you know, like that one's probably been in the works for about a year. Um, oh, wow. So like that. Uh, I think it's just one of those products that, you know, just want to make sure we do it right. So. Right. And then next spring, SRAM's like, new hub design. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what <laughs> right no standards no standards in the bike yeah. industry yeah right <laughs> so that's only right around the corner another standard right yeah. so um what is it that you enjoy about single speed what why do you like it 
you know, I mean, it's just simplicity. Like I, I think, so it's been a while since I've written single speed. I think Jesus probably like 2009 or 10, I think I did single speed racing for like a season. And I had like, it was like Kendale caffeine frame. I think it was like a hardtail frame with the, you know, the 80 millimeter lefty fork on the front. And um, it was, it was just uh single speed with a, uh, eccentric bottom bracket, you know, so I could tension. Yeah, yeah. Line. Cannondale made that one FG for a while too. That thing was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I think single speed is just fun because you don't have to worry about gears. You don't have to worry about you know breaking a derailleur or you know having to worry about you know your shifting going bad or anything like that. I mean, you just pick a good gear you know set that you can use. that's going to get you what you need, so you're not spinning too high or spinning too low. Um, you know, and you just go hit the trails. You don't have anything to worry about. I think. The problem is then you start having to pound the gears, you know, especially, you know, if you're trying to race or something, it's a little hard on the knees, but. I I haven't done it on a mountain bike, but I, I had a single speed road bike that I used for a long time. Like um, mostly it's, it's flat around Sacramento. So there's not a whole lot of hills. And I think for me, the thing that I really enjoyed the most was like, because you didn't have the option to change gears, it really surprised you on how little you needed to change gears. Because you don't think about it. Yeah, you don't have the choice, right? Yeah. But like if you yeah. have the the Eagle Twelves, you know, speed. You're gonna you're gonna hit every one of those gears just because you can. Yeah, yeah. I know when I first bought my gear, my gravel bike, which has gears, it's like I remember for a long time, like because I was so used to just riding the single speed, I would just. I just left it in the hardest gear and just like, or I picked some gear and just left it there. Right. And then slowly yeah. over time, I started being like changing my gears. Now I'm all over fucking place with the thing. Right. <laughs> but it's like, if I was to get on my single speed, I could do that same exact ride in one gear and it wouldn't like bother me. It's like, Oh, here's where you get out of the saddle. Here's where your cadence goes up, you know? And, um, I think that, um, what I'm explaining there is the simplicity that you're talking about. It's like, it's just like, yeah. I don't know. It's just cool not to have to think about, you know, and it's also really cool when you pass somebody with gears. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, that is the best. <laughs> I think with mountain biking though, I would make the assumption that it's really similar to, um, um, to, to buying a hardtail. It's like, it completely changes your trail because now you're not going to smash through this or smash through that because maybe you don't have the speed for that because you're looping out on a downhill or you're like not going to pick that line because that's going to be like way harder to climb in the gear that you're in or something like that. So I would imagine it gives you just a different, like a whole different perspective to riding the trails that you're riding. Well, totally. And I mean, so that, that single speed kit, you know, it also works with the um, XDR, which is kind of like uh, the road version of that hub. Mm -hmm. So like, I mean, like on most towny bikes and fixie bikes, that type of thing, I mean, like they generally come with one gear. So like you could, like yeah. if you had a set of XD hubs laying around and you just wanted to make a nice, you know, commuter or cruiser, you got a set of rims. Now you can actually just throw on a simple single speed conversion kit and roll that thing to work. Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys going to make some sort of a tensioner as well? Or you um, that to somebody else? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, people who are deep in the single speed scene would probably tell you, you know, they've got their own way. Like you can use some of those um, 
single speed tensioners to hold the tension on the chain line. Some people will just, you know, pull the chain as tight as they can when they put it on, you know, to get them where they want to go and what they feel comfortable with. So you're just, you know, putting it on the conversion kit and using your standard cog, you know, up front, um, yeah. just tight, you know, taking out links and making the chain work. Um, the other option is, is, you know, you could buy like our solo XD conversion for the rear. And if you really wanted to dial in the chain tension is buy one of our eccentric bottom brackets, which, um, you know, lets you basically, I mean, choose, you know, how, how loose or tight your chain line is, you know, whenever. Yeah. 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 That that's, um, that's definitely an option as well. I think that's the cleanest way to go about it without the tensioner. You know, I just think, I think some people that maybe do a conversion on a the bike, they won't have the, the, like they'll have the traditional, like quick release kind of drop out or something like that. So yeah. the bottom bracket or the tensioner would be the, the, the way to go then to kind right. of get that, unless you just get lucky, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, that was the other yeah. thing too that we didn't really mention is right. Like some bikes are designed just for single speed. They have that sliding uh, dropout on the rear um, to yeah. adjust chain lines. So I mean, like if you had one of those bikes, you just throw on the conversion kit and you could adjust it and you'd be good to go. Wouldn't yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that's one of the reasons that I bought the Chameleon for the hardtail again was because they they're dropouts. You can adjust them. So oh, it's a sliding dropout. Yeah, it's okay. like it's proprietary. Like of course you know but it's not it's not just like the slotted ones like you would see on like a like a fixie yeah. but it, it it's like you turn this these bolts and it like you know just kind of slides it out in or out or something like that so it's so is nice the, that you, is the chameleon is, is that kind of like your go-to bike or no that's just the hardtail i bought for fun man honestly i i was in the process of selling my my tall boy and i had um a custom paint job on it and like from some accidents some of the the paint got messed up so the person who painted it for me was going to fix it and yeah. it was just um on on a like friend agreement so he was going to take his time and so i had all these parts for a bike just laying in my garage and you know somehow or another you end up on pink bike and then you see a frame and i saw one of the chameleon frames and originally i had bought a, an aluminum chameleon i sold it for the the carbon one didn't like the carbon one because i sized up and i never like an extra large and then also the chameleon the carbon frame was like super stiff and it really didn't have the compliance that the other one did it kind of beat you up even more and wow. so um whenever i bought the tall boy it was like give me a little cushion you know so <laughs> whenever i was like screwing around with pink like somehow or another that old frame in aluminum came up and i was like man i have all the parts like i can just put this thing together and have another bike right now so i did it and um except for i started buying a bunch of new parts because i was like well this would be fun <laughs> i need to i need to have that derailleur and that crank set for the toddler when it's done painted so i might as well just buy one now i'm gonna buy it then so um like i said earlier i have a way of taking something cheap and turning it into expensive so now I have a whole bike, but I don't know. I, I don't know how long I'll keep it. Like, cause it's, it's obvious. It's like a hundred percent, like a, uh, just an extra tool in the toolbox. And yeah. it's not one that I use a lot. Like I know, like basically right now I'm in the process of selling my long travel and my short travel bike to replace them with new ones. Yeah. And I know that whenever I, I do that, 
those are the two bikes that I'm going to grab like 90% of the time. So yeah. the hardtail is like the every once in a while, it's like, oh, I'm going to go do this ride with my wife that is like maybe not as like aggressive as some of the other stuff that I would normally do. Yeah. And this will slow me down some and this will like make it fun for me in a different way. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's good for that. Um, it's kind of like the same percentage that an e-bike would take up in my life. Like it's like I still would go out and ride my analog bikes like 90% of the time. But that 10% where you want to go do like shuttle laps and not have to yeah. have a shuttle, like that would be rad, you know? Yeah. Fortunately, a, a, a hardtail is much cheaper than an e-bike. So it's easier to like kind of be okay with it being in your garage. You know what I mean? Yeah. We got we got to convert your chameleon over to the, uh, the Solo XD. Do you the single speed? Dude. I mean, if you, if you need a if you need a fat guy to uh, stress test it, I know a dude. <laughs> so send one my way, and I'll be all over. Right. But uh, yeah, man. So, dude, it's on. on we're wrapping up here. We're almost at two hours, dude. It's been fun wow. chatting with you, man. Yeah, time goes by fast. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, whenever I reach out to new companies, like I mean, we've known each other for a while. So, but yeah. when I reach out to new companies, a lot of times they're like two hours. Like, there's no way we're going to talk for two hours. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, almost every person gets on the show and is like, it's been two hours. Like, yeah, nobody is like, holy shit, that took forever. <laughs> yeah, you can talk. <laughs> right. I think it's just, you know, when you're talking about something that you enjoy, it's really easy, yeah. you know, and like a lot of times these people are the people that started the company or like you work for wheels. Like you, you know so much about what's going on there. Like yep. it's really easy to have that conversation. And then you just sprinkle in a little bit of like fun bike conversation too. And here's the format, you know? <laughs> so yeah, man, I always ask people at the end of the show, regardless of if it has to do with biking or not, like what YouTube channels they like to watch. So, uh, What's in your feed, man? Oh man, um, I, you know I'm gonna say I'm a I'm a uh, Dream Builds follower for sure. So G Milner, um, I've been watching him for years. Like that guy just makes bikes look amazing um, with the video. Oh, right on. Um, so yeah, I mean G Milner. I mean you gotta you gotta give a nod to uh, BKXC, right? He's the original. Yeah. Um, I watch a little bit of a, like a Francis Cade. If you heard of him, he, he does some pretty cool stuff. He's got, um, a vlog. What's I think he, he just, he, it's, it's all bike stuff. Um, I think he just, uh, changed the name of his channel to Cade media. Um, but it's, uh -huh. uh, it's, um, all kinds of stuff, just bike related, uh, blog, vlog stuff. Um, it's yeah, really yeah. Good. you um, know who I've been watching lately that I never watched before. And it's just kind of fun when you find a channel that's been around for a while and you haven't watched it is, uh, Sam Pilgrim. Oh, his stuff's true. Yeah. His stuff's dude, funny. He's so funny. And I'm yeah. like, how have I not been watching? I think in my mind, like whenever I heard that he had a channel, it was just like, oh, he's some pro guy. He's not gonna be like he's 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 just gonna be some pro guy that's not actually like entertaining, you know what I mean? Like that sounds like like snobby of me to like, but I know that was my thought process, right? I think he didn't he do a video on like a like a bone shaker, one of those big wheel bikes. 
Yeah, recently. I saw something like he did like a, a like a 36 inch wheel bike or something like that. Yeah. I, I watched him do like some like bamboo frame and I don't know, man, he's really entertaining. Like he's yeah. like definitely I I am eating my words of like my, my thoughts initially and I'm like, dude, I really like this guy's channel. He he's like funny and he like presses like the limits with you know because his skill set's super high so he can be like yeah i'm gonna go do this like freaking 15 foot gap on this thing because that seems like a good idea you know i mean there's a yeah. there's a ton of great stuff out there that, like it, my feed goes on and on but i mean you got you know obviously you've got burn peak you got single track sampler you've you know yeah. you got your sitting mac you got there's just so much good stuff out there i mean you could watch stuff so do there. you watch anything that's like not bike related uh mr beast fan watch yeah. that um, dude how could you not like mr beast that guy is like <laughs> like i think he has everybody on youtube as a subscriber yeah yeah his stuff's pretty good i like um i know i watch a lot of, of stuff on like 3d printing and stuff like that oh yeah where totally. that and obviously like editing there's like a ton of stuff that i watch on editing and then there's some people that i just like watching like their their style like um like Peter McKinnon, he's like a camera guy. Yeah. But his videos are like like the way that he films them, like even if I wasn't into photography, it's like kind of fun just to watch what he does, you know. No, his stuff's good too. And like he has great content. And on top of it, I mean, he generally shows you like, well, here's how you should be doing some of this stuff. You know, there's usually yeah, some yeah. tutorial yeah. stuff in there. I like that Mike Boyd guy too. He's really good. You ever watch him? I don't think I've heard of that one, huh? He he like learns a new thing all the time, like Hey, I'm going to learn how to do a Rubik's cube in under two minutes. And I'm going to like, see how long it takes to do it. Or I'm going <laughs> to learn how to manual for like a hundred meters and I'm going to yeah. see how long it takes to do it. And it's cool. Cause he like does a timer so that like when he learned how to manual, you're like, Oh, it only took him eight hours. Like it might've been eight hours over like two months, yeah. but it was like, it was only eight hours. So when you look at it in that time frame, you're like, man, I should try that. You know? <laughs> so anyways dude like i said super fun chatting with you anything um that you feel like we didn't cover with with wheels no i think i no i we i appreciate you having us on and letting us talk about wheels and talking shop and catching up with you i mean i know it's been a while since since we've talked and it was good yeah. running into you at sea otter so i mean if you ever make yeah. it out here to colorado robert yeah yeah for sure man i'm actually going to be out that way later this summer so hopefully that maybe yeah. it will work yeah. out that we can uh, hook up but um, aside from that, once again, if you guys haven't checked out wheelsmanufacturing.com, it's actually wheelsmfg.com. Go over there, check out their website, and uh, give them give them a, a like and a follow if you want to swing by their Instagram or their Facebook. They got all the socials. So it sound, I'm, I'm pretty sure what you said earlier, your Instagram is probably your, your most active, your Instagram kind of Facebook kind yep, of stuff. totally. Instagram, Facebook. So, right on. So if you guys want to give them a follow over there, go ahead and do that. And if you go to the website, like he said earlier, and you use the code biker, B-Y-K-E-R, you get 10% off your first order. So get in there, get you a, a, a bottom bracket, some bling for your bike, and, and you'll be standing out on the trail. Those of you that want to help me out, here I am with this really rad machined bottle opener, the size of a credit card, shaped like a beer can. If you go to Patreon and you join that happy hour crew i think it's i don't remember yeah i think it's the happy hour crews five bucks a month man you'll get one of these until i'm out so this a sticker pack 
I write everybody that joins that group a handwritten letter and uh, you get some extra content too, as well as access to all the coupon codes for all the companies that I have been able to set something up with. The, those aren't all public, so they don't all necessarily come out on the podcast, but you can save yourself some money. I know there's like, for example, a 20% off of a Cali helmet. So say you're gonna buy a, a full face helmet, that's 40 bucks, right? Right there that you can save. So it's worth five bucks a month. You can throw some money my way. It's like buying me a beer once a month. I really would appreciate everybody over there. And that support really, truly keeps this thing going. Um, until we get the YouTube dump truck money showing up, that's going to be the way that we're going to go about it. But until then, thank you very much, James, for, for being part of the show today and Wheels Manufacturing. And for those of you that don't know, it only takes a bike to be a biker. So get out and be one. <laughs>